I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch knows exactly why Kyle Chandler can find Godzilla. They're both deadbeat dads. Pictures of wolves. Like <laughs> anyone well, can write. Hold lost on, one of your. T- I really said when I lost one of one of the kids. Yeah. Uh, therefore, I'm going to be on a uh, uh, writing a letter only basis with my daughter. Hey, a lot of their emails. <laughs> a lot of people can be fathers. Not many people can can take sick ass shots, cool ass wolves. Uh, like, yeah, and a, a lot of people can be fathers, and not all of them have nuclear breath. So no, yeah, I know. Where we love to watch for a movie podcast, pick a theme. We do movies over the course around that theme. Normally, we're in our ninth week of our summer of Godzilla. Our size matters doubles month. We're we're almost done. the The alternate title of this double month, I think, Peter, could have been uh, "Scope Creep." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah. like we start with eight episodes, all single movies. And it just, it got to 10 episodes, and, like, we're just gonna, for example, in this week's episode, we're like, we're just gonna cover cover Godzilla 2014. I'd love to get to the other two, but we don't have time. Then it's like, well, I am really a passionate defender of King of the Monsters. I would love Peter to check that one out. So let's do a double. We can do a double, and then as we were about to watch it, we're like, well... When are we gonna come back to Godzilla versus Kong? <laughs> like, we're not. So... We should just do the let's just do the the MonsterVerse trilogy, basically, and we can talk about Skull Island for a second or two. But uh, yeah, so we're we're doing this episode's the the full Godzilla trilogy, the MonsterVerse, which it sounds like it's going to continue. They're making Godzilla versus Kong two. They're making a Godzilla TV show for Legendary, all in the MonsterVerse. I think of of your verses. Uh, I think. MonsterVerse is probably the second most successful of these after the MCU. We know Dark Universe is dead last. And I think, depending how you feel about the D- the DCEU, uh, I don't know <laughs> if there's any other verses. People talk about verses all the time, but there's only about four to five total uh, uh, verses. It, it's, a, it's a multitude of... of uh, it's a madness in the very easy-to-manage verses. What about that... Um that uh app where rappers can freestyle against each other that's that's a pretty good versus oh that's the versus verse Mm -hmm. that's where you drop hot verses Mm -hmm. in the verse but yeah Mm -hmm. once it's used you can't use it again (laughs) the rules the versus verse one it's a single use verse (laughs) yeah but we're doing recycled we're gonna do the monster verse uh, and it's not going to be a deep dive in any of the films. We're going to talk broadly about it. We don't have the time. Uh, but we do. I love all these movies. Peter loves most of these movies. Um, and I, I think that like they're not. If I was to rank like the series, and I'm going to kind of accept Reiwa from it only because that's just Shin Godzilla and Shin Godzilla rules. And we're going to be covering Shin Godzilla next week. But if you're talking like multi-movies 
I still go Heisei, Showa, and then the MonsterVerse with Millennium kind of being a fourth. But I think, like, this is the best version of American kaiju monster movies with the Godzilla characters that we're likely to get. So while it misses some of the charm or even the social commentary of the originals, um, it is like exactly, I think, what you want from $200 million, um, like blockbuster special effects, um, uh, theater all by three directors, uh, that I, that I love. I love all these directors. Uh, the second two more than the first. The first one has made three movies I really like, but, um, I mean, it's not Michael Doherty or Adam Wingard who made some of my favorites of some of And Adam Wingard and Michael Doherty are kind of, um, though I don't love every one of their movies, uh, yeah. they are kind of like we love to watch ass directors. What's funny, yeah, this kind of... I can see us covering every single one of their movies in some context. Well, what's funny is, I mean, we covered a part of Trick or Treat, but uh, we did cover Krampus, and technically I think this is his third movie, so we've kind of covered all the Michael Doherty movies. Somehow this is our first Adam Wingard movie when it seems like we really should have done a You're Next or a The Guest or something because, yeah, he definitely seems – he's like uh, – I even like the Blair Witch 2016. I, I do too. Um, and like <laughs> I, I unpopular opinion. Um, I, like I didn't I like mind his too. Death Note movie. I didn't like Death Note either. It was, I mean, I liked, I liked Death Note. I mean, I didn't mind it. Um, I didn't mind I did, it either. Um, I understand, like, the cultural concerns behind it. Uh, but I understand them less when um, Japan is still very much making lots and lots of Death Note content. Uh, yeah. And it was but, my only, to date, exposure to Death Note content. So I had nothing to compare it to, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I didn't mind that at all. I think Blair Witch is probably easier to defend because it's a cleaner cleaner defense. Yeah. Like, that series that series is already, like, they'd already had yeah, a One movie is a huge piece of garbage. Yeah. One's great and one's, like, pretty good for a once follow-up. You, yeah, thing. once you get into Book of Shadows territory, somebody serving up a uh, pretty fun... Uh, pretty fun found footage movie. Uh, yeah, that is actually really scary. Uh, I saw it in theaters. Uh, actually, really yeah. scary. I'm like the crowd was very excited about it. Um, and it, then the movie just kind of dissipated into vapor. Uh, People wanted to forget that movie existed. Uh, it had it, that movie. Uh, Simon Barrett, who was the co-writer with Adam Wingard, um, kind of his collaborator up up until Blair Witch, and then they kind of went their separate ways. He had one of my favorite tweets still uh, right after that movie premiered. Um, where he goes, well, you know, we released a movie that we loved and were proud of, and while the critics didn't like it, at least it made absolutely no money. (laughs) (laughs) So something, maybe something around, like, and audiences hated it. Like, it was very, very self-deprecating, funny tweet, but I love that movie. Or I I like that movie quite a bit. I guess I don't love it. That's that's a a little bit of hyperbole. Uh, so yeah. I'd say it's way higher than the average found footage movie. Uh, Yeah. I'd give it like a three and a half, four stars. And I think it's worth yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we're going to cover all of them uh, and, and cover the monster use more broadly as well. Before we do that, and Trick or Treat's a really good example, we've been doing so much Godzilla. And it's kind of spread over because we, we had kind of a weird schedule as we did our kind of uh, uh, release, our catch-up month, or into the vault month, or that turned into a double month um, in, in the spring. I wanted to just very quickly just walk through. Peter and I finally finalized what is our most holy time of the year, Spooktober. Normally we save this stuff for the end of episodes, but if you've been listening to a lot of Godzilla or you've been kind of tuning out to some of the other ones, I have a feeling this is where you may jump back in. 
Um, and so I did want to announce we're we're going hard at Spooktober again. We're gonna uh, the last our the, our episodes here wrap up the second to last week in September. The last week in September, we're gonna release our Spooktober kickoff episode with at least myself, Peter, and I, Ryan, and maybe Bill. Yeah, we'll uh, see. We'll see. Bill did not make it to the Spooktober ending recap he canonically died on our show yeah we're gonna try if, if we can't bring him back at spooktober we you can't bring him back because uh you can only resurrect the facetiously dead yeah uh, the last Do- week Do- dr watchenstein's monster is yes. powered by um coors light and hope <laughs> That's um, the way it works. so if you just all close your eyes and and picture a can of coors light and the Coors Light, the, the, the soft snap of a can <laughs> opening. Um, you too can bring Bill Fox back to life. Yeah, and, and imagine just getting it set down at the table as close to the microphone as possible. And, and if you know, that's like that's like seventy percent, I think, of what he delivers. So if we don't, if we don't get him, just do that, and he'll, it'll feel like he's still there. But yeah, uh, it doesn't matter. Whatever beverage you have at home, a look. Yeah, you, can, can. you know, it doesn't. You don't have to like really be like fucking Daniel Day Lewis. Like yeah. open whatever can you want. And pretend yeah, it's it can a be a gingered ale. Yeah. Oh, I love a gingered ale. Yeah, a creamed soda. Yeah, a root beer. <laughs> beer from <laughs> beer the root. Of the root. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're gonna be doing our Spooktober kickoff. We're gonna do some check-ins during the month and a final, final recap at the end of of our our new to us spooky movies that we're watching over the course of. Of, of this spooktober last year i got 114 will i pass it this year the answer no just mm-hmm. absolutely not a chance i got a conference i gotta go to i got a relatively new baby like he's not so new that i can say there's a new baby at home but you know he's, he's still will be like seven months old yeah yeah uh i don't think i'm gonna be um cracking uh 100 this year because um, you never have because I never have, and yeah. I've Why had start this many. Year? I've had more open years than I've had this year. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ryan probably will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's I got, think he, I, I think so. I beat him the last two years, which I was pretty proud of because we. I think we got over both got over a hundred. Yeah, I've never cracked eighty five. I don't think. No, it's not going to be this year for you. I just don't feel it for you this year. Yeah, the I'm not getting the vibe that you wanted that hard. Also, you did a. May we all kind of played a May Spooktober like get some stuff that's been on our list forever mm-hmm. off our list, which was a lot of fun. We didn't publicize it because not everything we do as friends has to be on the podcast, guys. Like, let us live our lives <laughs> separately. What people are begging for from you. Uh, and then Peter did you did kind of like a fun little you were you were getting in the spooky spirit, so you did a little fun. Uh, august spooky stuff too yeah i did like a week and a half uh just like filling out august before taking a break for september and uh it it, uh i have i have the the fire in me good um However, uh, I do still want to go to bed between ten forty-five and eleven fifteen. That so always that, that hasn't changed. <laughs> I also like I have a hundred like my as always. I had like over a hundred on my list, and this is a year though where almost everything on my list is like ninety minutes to two hours. Which right off the bat, I can tell it's going to be a challenge because many years a third of my movies are in that seventy to eighty minute sweet spot of like where you start, you know stacking them this is like 
This, I, we're giving you some pretty big insider tips of like how we do our magic. This is essentially like weight weightlifting for dumbs, mm-hmm. right? Like how do we stack all these movies? And the key is short or movies. Sort by runtime. Short by runtimes. <laughs> and <laughs> and if I, I I typically I make a rookie mistake and I sort by how much I want to watch the movie. Yeah, no, don't do that. Bozo move. Bozo move. You you have to look and you go. Do I have two hours or do I have? Three hours on the clock. Two hours, you go, you sort, you find a two-hour movie. Three hours, maybe you push it and try to get three seventy minutes in. Stay up a little, a little half hour later. But mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen this year. But we are going to be doing that, and then through the month of Spooktober, we're going to be doing something that um, we initially avoided. We kind of were like, I don't know if we're ever going to do this. Our first Spooktober uh, Halloween spooktacular was we took segments from anthology horror movies and. Uh, and covered them. We're like, we're never going to end up doing anthology movies. That doesn't seem right. But like in the back of our heads, Peter, we're like, but let's like not do segments from a few that we think work really well as entire movies. And so we 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 didn't do anything from the original Creep Show. We didn't do anything from Tales from the Hood. Uh, we didn't do anything from the first VHS movie and stuff like that. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know it? <laughs> Six years later, uh, we're doing uh, anthology spooktacular month and uh we're gonna cover again once you know it creep show we're gonna do an episode of tales from the hood we're gonna do a double episode on um the original tales from the crypt and vault of horror the amicus horror movies that are uh all of those are pretty good those two i think are far and away the best having seen most of those at this point um and we're gonna end it with something kind of fucking insane which matches some of our other endeavors for our Halloween spooktacular and we're going to do all the VHS movies, uh, VHS one to viral 94 and then 99, which will have been released by the time. Uh, October 20th is the date it's looking like. Yeah. So we're going to do, we're going to do all five VHS movies, which are Peter and I are huge defenders of. And I'm actually, we kind of sussed this out last spooktober that I think that even VHS viral, like the wraparound, which is a bigger part of those segments than ever before, is absolute garbage. All three of the actual segments are good to great. So I'm excited to defend some of those, to celebrate uh, the first couple, talk about 94, and hopefully 99 lives up to uh, how great, how what a fun surprise 94 was last year. Yeah, yeah, 94 ruled. Um, Maybe, I think the most consistent of all of them. Um, Like, I think think the first one is probably the most, like, consistent. uh, Yeah, no, we'll we'll talk about this. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of 94. Every segment, I think, is, like, like up four stars and above. I love love 94. So we're going to get into it. So, yeah, Um, I, I think... In previous years, we've done like, oh, we played the Resident Evil game and yeah. we read the script and we watched the first movie just to sort of do. We a did comparison. everything, all the Evil Dead TV show. We've yeah, we we've we tried to do a lot of fun stuff, and I I think this is probably won't be as many hours as three seasons of the Evil Dead show. But we are going to have to do a similar similar thing where we're like, it's been ten minutes. We got to move along. Yeah, we got to move on. Uh, so yeah, we're excited for that. So. If you've been, uh, hopefully you've been enjoying all these Godzilla and Kaiju episodes, uh, but if you're ready for something new, uh, our favorite time of the year is just around the corner. And yeah, so we want to talk about that at the, the beginning of this episode. But yeah, Peter, the MonsterVerse. Uh, here's something crazy. Did you know how this movie came to be and who, I didn't know this. 
do you know who got the rights to God's? So we covered Final Wars. Toho's like, no one likes us. Everybody hates it. Guess we'll go eat worms and not make any more Godzilla movies. Uh, a lot of executives had a lot of very sad quotes about how we've tried everything and the audiences aren't coming and the reviewers don't like it and we're just going to give up. So literally after Final Wars, um, there wasn't this idea anymore that Toho was going to keep making Godzilla movies. They were going to take these 10-year breaks and then um, – and then uh, come back. They were they were like, we're probably done. Like, this is not working <laughs> for us anymore. So, lo and behold, a person that we met over six years ago, Peter, mm-hmm. uh, named uh, Yoshimitsu Banu, or mm-hmm. Bano, um, who directed Godzilla vs. Hedera, mm-hmm. he had been trying to make another Godzilla movie forever, and Toho was like, no. Your hetero movie almost ruined the franchise. We talked a little bit about that in the Showa era where they went from hetero, which was a big dud. And part of the reason they went to, I think, Gigan was like and brought back Ghidorah was like, we need something more over the line, uh, a villain that audiences recognize. And we need to get some magic back into this. But Bano never stopped trying to make a Godzilla movie. And so in when Final Wars... Um, uh, was was kind of the end. Toho sold him the rights to make a Godzilla movie. And they said, go ahead. Like, we're not going to give you any funding. We're not going to give you any help. Like, we are really done with this. We're not going to give you the suits, access to the special effects team. But go ahead. You have the right to go make um, a Godzilla movie. And so he spent a lot of time trying to put together financing and doing edits of script of, like, these versions called, like, Godzilla in 3D um, and he had a few other names for them as well, but the idea was kind of um, a sim- similar to Hedorah, that Godzilla was tr- was basically chasing around the globe, trying to bring down these monsters that had been released, and were, um, and like, the monsters in this case were some dangerous form of pollution or radioactivity and stuff like that. You can kind of see some elements of that script in what became Godzilla 2014, which is Godzilla literally chasing uh, the monsters around the globe. So he tries that for a long time, and he just isn't able to get quite the funding he wants. And meanwhile, Legendary Pictures is starting to kind of get interested in um, making making Godzilla movies. They're like, we, we, we're starting, uh, Legendary was starting to become a bigger production house. They were making these big special effects movies and Bano started to pitch it to them and they're like well how about instead of you making the movie we'll we'll put Godzilla back on the screen we'll 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 do it justice in a way that Roland Emmerich's version didn't but you have to give us the rights and so Bano essentially from what I read kind of worked with Toho and Legendary to come to some sort of agreement. Because Toho was, while they were willing to give the prop, the rights to make a movie to uh, a Japanese director who was making a Japanese Godzilla movie, they were somewhat hesitant to uh, to give it to, to uh, an American uh, studio again to make it. So the deal was actually a little bit more restrictive than what they had uh, approved for uh, for Roland Emmerichs and that they needed to be able to approve designs. They needed to be able to approve um, plots and some other major things if, Toho, if they were going to go ahead with this. And so 
Uh, eventually, Legendary worked out an agreement. They uh, with with uh, with Toho, Bano gave up the rights to make the next Godzilla movie, and Legendary started work on a Godzilla movie. But Toho was very reluctant, which is why in Godzilla twenty fourteen, Peter, you have this situation where like they clearly want to use another monster, and Toho was like, "You can have Godzilla." <laughs> like that's it <laughs> we're gonna see how this goes we've been burned before uh you can have godzilla and so uh the movie went through a lot of rewrites they eventually found a director including someone like the people that show up in all of these like if it's a genre movie like i think david ayers or whatever did like or david goyer did like some uncredited screenwrite and you know stuff like that and everyone kind of had their take which is also why i think godzilla 2014 is a little bit we'll, we'll get into it more specifically here in a second is a little bit of a of kind of a, a mixed thing where they had this idea of like this uh representation of global warming they had this idea of this this like you know father's loss and a son trying to fulfill a legacy they had that idea from godzilla in 3d which was godzilla traveling the globe to track down monsters and kill them and and they had this idea of like this secret government conspiracy called monarch that had kind of kept godzilla at bay for all eternity so it was this idea of like all these different screenwriters having these different plots and what they end up kind of doing as we see peter is they just kind of do all of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but what's what's odd is that, like, the first movie doesn't feel overstuffed at all, I don't think. The first movie no. feels rather reserved, and it doesn't have a million characters, and it doesn't have the sense of um, o- overcommitted uh, sweep. Um, but the sequels do like the sequels like can't fucking wait to get to to the to the uh, you know the old school homages and they can't wait to start dropping fan service and they can't wait to take you to the goofy side. Um, but the first movie is like pretty pretty clinically reserved. You can tell like Gareth Edwards had a lot of creative control on like what was in the movie and what was not. Um, there's very little fan service in the first one. Yeah, there. I mean, it is like so. They Gareth and Edwards they got to direct. This is really the era, Peter. Of not that this era really left, but I do think like early two thousand tens is is the big time era of like the the thirty year old white guy film student indie calling card movie that gets you a huge franchise, right? Like you have this because Gareth uh, Edwards did uh, Monsters. Which was, I like monsters. Which, okay, you know, if we're going to do the comparison to Colin Trevorrow. um, You have that, you have who's the Fantastic Four guy, too. Like, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Chronicle. I guess, like, Chronicle and. Josh Josh Trank, I think. Yeah, Josh Trank. Chronicle and uh, Monsters do kind of make sense because, like, they uh, were at least good proofs of concept for the genres that the person was brought into. The reason that people were so mad about uh, Colin Trevorrow was not just because he was is a mediocre director who's yet to make a really good movie, yeah. um, but that he he made, like, essentially a silly conceptual comedy, and then he was handed the keys to the kingdom. He was going to make Star Wars movies. He was going to make Jurassic Park movies. Yeah, they even yeah. talked, like, every major franchise at some point was knocking on his door, and it was like, 
Is he good in the room? Like, lots of people have. Oh, well, they they said, I mean, there was a lot of good articles published about, like, Spielberg met him, and he said, like, he reminds me of me. And there was a lot of good, like, uh, people of color and, uh, you know, uh, uh, feminist uh, writers who were like, yeah, because he's a white guy. Like, (laughs) the reason that you're like, well, let's give him fucking Jurassic World. And he reminds you of you, like, that wouldn't have happened if it was, like, a 20-year-old woman. It wouldn't have happened if it was a 20-year-old person of color who had made safety not guaranteed. Like, we, Absolutely. we, we know the rec- what recognition is happening there. So Yeah. And, I mean, and yeah, like, the, 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 the point to criticize it is not whether or not that, you know, the, the calling cards were perfect um, encapsulations. But, you know, I can't, you kind of get the monsters to, to Godzilla 24. Oh, vibe. yeah. I, like, I mean, and I mean, he... Delivered. I, I think Rogue One is fucking. I love great. Rogue One. Besides, yeah. besides Last Jedi, it's clearly the best uh, new Star Wars movie that's come out of all this stuff. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, and, and then, like, I don't know. Chronicle was really cool, and I was Chronicle's like, that cool. guy can make a bigger, a bigger budget superhero movie. And they handed him like a tentpole franchise. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and, I, and again, this, yeah, this could be. Yeah, you. He seemed to just crack under the pressure more than. More than anything, but I, and I think honestly, too, understandably, yeah, yeah understandably. Um, like, I mean, I, I for like, I mean, I remember there was all those weird stories of like he wouldn't leave his house and his he'd send the dogs to the door anytime the studio went. Like, feels like a, there's a movie to be made about the making of Fantastic Four. But you're, but but like all three of those things happened at once, and so there was a lot of discussion of of two things at the time, which is a like these indie film directors are they even like are people making indie films for two million dollars that are just do do they have any artistic merit or are they just calling cards to get a 200 million dollar budget um the next movie and then also like hey someone who just made a two million dollar uh movie uh do they under like an indie movie where they had almost all creative control and and everything else do they know how to work within a studio system and make a successful $200 million movie? And I think this is the one, like, of those three big ones that got a lot of press, like, I think this is by far the successful one. And I think how Gareth Edwards handled that, Peter, is, and why I loved it when Godzilla 2014, when I saw it, I still love it quite a bit, is it feels like he still made it with an indie sensibility. Like, Monsters, the whole hook of monsters, if you've never seen it, is that there's these these giant kaiju monsters that now roam the earth. And for almost the entirety of the movie, from a special effects budget limitation, those sort of things, they're wandering through the jungles and seeing the aftermath or seeing a character's perspective of these giant monsters attack. And you never you never actually see anything. It's about um, yeah I, up until I, the I, very I've end. Seen it and it's, yeah, it's mostly about uh, how the world has been affected in in the day to day in sort of the nuts nuts and bolts fashion. Yeah. I didn't particularly like the movie very much, uh, but I I could appreciate the like con- concept behind it and the vision and that sort of vision carries into this movie and it carries into it absolutely carries into Rogue One too. And in, in yeah, way it's like a little a little strange because so many modern Star Wars movies are just sort of like lifeless. Yeah, they're trying to kind of do like a George Lucas Star Wars thing, but they don't they don't have uh they don't have the skill to just replicate something that already exists, I guess. Well, and George Lucas himself didn't, you know, had trouble replicating that. So, uh anyways, that's all that's a long long tangent that 
potentially could have a lot of angry letters attached to it. But uh, yeah, I I mean, I, I like monsters quite a bit. Um, and I, I think the kind of surprise in that movie is that by the time you see the monsters at the end, and you don't know that you're ever going to see the monsters, right? This is a tiny indie flick that I think I watched straight on Netflix on a, on a friend's recommendation. Um, they look incredibly impressive and but more bizarre than you expected and a lot of other stuff. And so I think, and, and like some of that is taking, I think, you know, the biggest influence on, on Godzilla 2014 is clearly Jaws, right? You don't so, show the shark for the first hour. Like you don't see Godzilla in this movie for the first hour. And then when you do see him, it's almost all of it is done through like, it, it has, oh, you're going to see a Godzilla fight and then it cuts away and you see it on like the news screens covering it. Um, and his... His take on this movie, even being able to work with a $200 million budget, was that, like, I don't want to show Godzilla from a God's Eye perspective. I want to show scale uh, from... I, I, I want to emphasize the scale of these giant monsters. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm only going to show Godzilla or the other monsters from camera angles that theoretically a camera could actually get to. Or from a ground level. So we never really see the up top shot of Godzilla unless there's like characters jumping out of an airplane. And most of it is that idea of like someone on the ground seeing it like at eye level. And I watching the movie again for the first time in a few years for this show, like that is just it's incredibly effective. Like we'll get into some more details about it, but every scene where like in a way that having watched all of these other kaiju and godzilla movies that we just did peter i do think this is the one where these godzilla just feels giant in this movie in a way that even in the other monsterverse movies like he did you i never quite get that sense of awe again despite liking um both the sequels um i actually like this movie way more than i liked it when it first came out when i first came out i kind of agreed with um the common complaint about the movie, which is that Godzilla is like a guest star in his own movie. Yeah. And most of my reaction um, to this movie is going to be um, responding to that claim. Like how, because yeah. in some ways it's true and it's, it's it, 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 it holds some water. But overall, like what you're describing and the, 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 the structural choices that the movie makes makes it feel more like the original Godzilla and it imbues it with the tone yeah. of the original Godzilla in a way that I think... Many of the movies, notably the sort of uh, reboots or soft reboots, have tried but have failed. Yeah. Um, they inevitably, and they, and then the next movie, they all inevitably go into the wacky territory, right? Um, the next two movies have sort of a generic quality uh, in terms of their approach because they don't they don't feel like the work of the directors who we're fairly familiar with. I don't think, mm. um, and they don't feel. Um, like they have a unique take on Godzilla. They're just like, we're going to have a good time with this, this set of toys, which is respectable. Um, yeah, but, uh, this one feels like Godzilla 2014, especially viewing it now. Yeah. Not quite a decade later, but you know, uh, far enough away that like a lot of eras of, of spectacle filmmaking have passed. Um, I, I feel like Godzilla 2014 is like a, a, a film that made specific choices about how it was going to yeah. react to spectacle filmmaking. And then the next two were like, but what if 
we jangled the keys in front of your face. And I like I liked the way they jangle the keys. Don't get me wrong. These are great keys. Good there's a keys. shiny. There's a shiny pendant. They got one of those. those the, one of the keychains. It has the thing that spins. Yeah, oh, great. Um, you know the thingy that like you know there's like it's like a circle and then there's like a circle inside the circle and that and that part like spins. Picturing it now. Yeah. Great. Oh, and they have multiple colored sort of silvery keys. So there's like a chromey kind of looking one. Great keys to jangle. Uh, however, uh, there, there is points where my brain just it just uh, shuts off in the way that I don't like to shut my brain off. Yeah, watching movies, I like to be like, well, what what story am I being told? What are you trying to communicate with the movie? Like, I like spectacle filmmaking to at least say one thing. Yeah, uh, I don't think King of the Monsters has anything to say. I don't think King Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong um, has anything to say. Um, however, spectacle. It's a good spectacle. So, yeah, I, I mean, I both agree and disagree with you. I actually don't think any of these have anything necessarily all that interesting to say. Like, I think 2014 has a lot to say about... I mean, maybe th- this this does what you're saying. It has a lot to say about spectacle filmmaking, about how we show scale. Like, it's a lot of craft and, like, incredibly impressive craft. Um, and I'd love it for that. I think thematically, like, I like the idea of Titans. I like the idea of where they eventually go with... With Hollow Earth, I like giant monster things. Like that, that hasn't been clear over the last nine weeks. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what else could be. And and they do an incredibly impressive job with that. I mean, there's not that many Godzilla movies. Period. Over you know thirty plus movies at this point that I think have a lot to say. There, are, the original has again an amazing amount to say and says it incredibly well. And there's a smattering of the movies we've covered that has something to say. Um, and I, I think even, I think what's incredibly obvious now watching through a few eras of these movies, whether it's an American version or Toho version, you, you, you only kind of get that first one to do the Godzilla thing. I think you're right. This does compare well, at least from a, uh, sense of dread and tone and fear to the original Godzilla 2014 return of Godzilla, the start of the Heisei era attempted to do that as well. And then almost immediately, I think there's a natural inclination to, yeah, let's get those big old monsters to slam into each other. And and that's where that's where King of the Monsters and Godzilla versus Kong immediately goes. And I they get escalating more into the Showa and even Heisei era of kind of ridiculousness. But I mean, again, that's not a problem for me. I love that. It's why we watched all of these these movies. And I think seeing that level of either convoluted or barely touched on plots or, you know, again, in this case, instead of aliens, it's a hollow earth and a long lost prophecies. And these used to be the gods battling on Earth. I love all that shit so much. And I love like, I mean, I named Godzilla vs. or King of the Monsters one of my favorite movies of 2019 when we did that episode. And I said, Peter, like, I have seen so many Godzilla movies and some movies do the human characters well and some don't. I appreciate that they are trying for something original with King of the Monsters. At the end of the day, like, I am just like in awe of seeing these these monsters and these set pieces like done just incredibly well and on this scale and like it's all rah 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 cheer moments so yeah it's doesn't have all that much to say i don't think like i said i don't think godzilla vs kong does either is it hitting everything i want from a roller coaster 
big budget uh, spectacle. Absolutely. And the other reason I really love these movies, which I think is different than the other successful verse, the, uh, the, uh, the MC universe, um, which I, I have more fond feelings of than Peter. But one thing that I think is a very fair criticism of the MCU uh, and why some directors that you and I love, Peter, have left it is because they are trying to get a homogenized vision, uh, pun not intended, through all of those uh, movies. And so, like, it's only going to look like there's that there's that valid criticism that whether it doesn't matter if the Russo brothers are directing it or you know, the guy that did Ant-Man, like, they all kind of look the same. And what I do love, like, you're, it's true that, like, I mean, obviously Michael Doherty, like, you know, he's not making Trick or Treat or Krampus, and the, it, the scale's much bigger, or Adam Wingard's not making The Guest or, or stuff like, or, you know, or Don't Breathe or whatever. But these movies look incredibly different. Their style is incredibly different. Their tone is incredibly different. I would say the same thing about Kong Skull Island, which is a movie I like quite a bit. I love that they are just letting the, like they're not worried about tonal continuity. They're not worried about um, uh, you know, uh, theming or anything like that or, or visual continuity. They really are letting these directors who I mostly love go. Yeah, go nuts! Like make your movie, and and that's what I read behind the scenes too. They're, they're giving these people incredibly free, incredible amounts of freedom to make a uh, cinematic universe that is connected mainly by like story beats and monsters. Yeah, I, I, I just wish that I could feel that more. In I could feel that in Skull Island for sure. I could feel it in Godzilla twenty fourteen. I wish I could feel it more in the other two Godzilla movies. Like, um. I appreciate that they're more that like they're allowed to go wacko like that's that's great um but <laughs> like I don't um I, I don't see them doing any wild swings with even like what spectacle filmmaking is supposed to be King Godzilla versus Kong does have an an utter abandonment of of like the traditional logic that would accompany um a sort of spectacle movie that I, I do really appreciate like <laughs> The, the fact that they go to the hollow earth and that's important for like half an hour of the movie and of a two hour movie is like hilarious to me. It's like, so good. But like, I think it's supposed to be hilarious. Yeah. But it's, it's funny that it's like, you think yeah. the whole movie is going to take place. They're going to get stuck in the hollow earth. They're going to have to activate some sort of laser cannon to get out. And instead it's like, uh, he's got a well, giant throne and a family axe, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> he gets that shit. And then he's like, all right, well, I got to go back. I got to, got to get a, a fight on earth going. Yeah, like, and then Godzilla. You know, TikTok. Like, yeah. He's like, he's like, oh, you're, you're right down there. Yeah. I'm going to blast into the center of the hollow earth to try to kill you. It's God, it's good. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I love all of that. So I, uh, I, I admittedly, I will probably watch Godzilla versus Kong more times in my, uh, in my life. Um, but Godzilla 2014 is the movie where I'm like, I, I watching it now, not so much when it came out, but watching it now, I have a much deeper appreciation for sort of a con as a contrast to what spectacle filmmaking was doing at the time and sort of, but also as a product of it. So it was, it was trying to react to spectacle filmmaking by being like, Hey, uh, we're focused more on like boots on the ground and how this is impacting everyday people. This is not focused on like how many buildings can we blow up and then you put a Hans Zimmer score over it and then it's suddenly sad. Um, this is very, this is very much focused on like people are affected right now. Yeah, and also 
as equally important, I think, like, anyone can show whatever they want on screen, right? Like, you can, at, at this point, and the special effects in all these movies, I think, hold up really well. Like, you can show whatever you want on screen, and we can show giant monsters, and we can show building crashings and stuff like that. Like, what you can't always be impressed of is the scale. How many big-budget movies, especially in this era, I mean, and now, too, did we see, Peter, where it's like, it's $200 million that looks like shit and is never impressive. I think of, like... Uh, did you ever see the Independence Day sequel? I did not. It's it's garbage. It's so bad. And I know that's I'm not the first person. That's not probably shocking to you. But like it is that idea of like man, they they're showing even bigger spaceships and even like even bigger space fights and aliens and monsters and bigger pieces of destruction are like you know 2012 the, that Roland Emmerich movie where. You're not just seeing, like, a twister hit or something, but you're seeing the planet break apart. And, like, you just sit there and you are unawed by anything. It's so much money on screen and it look, most of it, not 2012, but a lot of these movies look amazing. And you're just like, I, I am in no way impressed by anything. And I I think his, you know, his stated goal really was, I, I want you to feel impressed by Godzilla. I want, because in the literal definition of the, word he is an awesome creature that is bigger than your your head can really get around and like those scenes where he almost like twists and pops up and just keeps getting larger and larger over buildings while like huge towers of water start coming at you or like the scene on the bridge when you know you're only seeing like a midsection it feels huge in a way that I'm trying to think of another movie that makes me feel that way. Maybe uh, a little bit Troll Hunter at times, I guess, which might be a weird comparison. But that's another movie that just make that you feel the trolls scale. I guess like it's it's hard to it's hard to think of another movie that I think does scale this well. Yeah, yeah, and, and a lot of that is 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 just uh, camera placement within practical sets, right? Yeah, like. Um, a lot of movies rely on, oh, well, we want this to feel big, so wide shot, wide shot, wide shot, and then close-ups of our characters' faces with their jaws open. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, like, actually creating a scene and an atmosphere within something that's real and then having that that sort of uh, bubble of reality um, juxtaposed with um, something that's unreal, but because of that juxtaposition, it feels real. So, um the, the, the train car sequences in this yeah. in Japan are tremendous. And the fact that like a, you mean, a you significant... mean sorry, you mean Hawaii? Oh yes, it's in Hawaii. So yeah, the, there's some globe trotting in here. So it, yeah. the, it starts in Japan, it ends up in San Francisco. Yes, they're in Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason I don't picture there being train cars like that in Hawaii. Um but <laughs> But yeah, the train car sequence where like all he's worried about is all the main character is worried about is saving one little boy who got separated from his parents. Yeah, that's all he cares. That's that's all that's all he cares about. And um, he is functionally helpless against something that's that's so much bigger than him. And you feel that functional helplessness because the movie has has used other sequences to build up sort of like an atmosphere of of, of you know reminding you of uh, the tsunamis particularly like this movie is in the shadow of fukushima and the surrounding tsunamis of, yeah, the, of the time not as um, much as the next movie we'll be talking about but yeah 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 um the fukushima disaster and uh the tsunamis that affected japan at the time like those are those are clearly influencing um 
the the, the scale yeah. of of this movie and it's very much focused on like if i can save this one little boy i like that's that's all that matters <laughs> he, he's functionally impo- it's functionally uh, helpless to stopping godzilla but if he can get this little boy he doesn't even have to get him back to his parents like he just needs to get his little boy to dry land like yeah. That's great. It's not his kid. You never learn really anything about the kid. All you know is that he gets. You don't really learn much parents. about any anyone. <laughs> yeah, Which, like, I, I think it's fine. Like that's almost, that's almost not a ciphers. Yeah, exactly. Almost all the characters are like, wow, like that's a very adorable family. I hope that family doesn't get murdered yeah. by a Godzilla. I, I mean, the movie has some in uh, the next year. My brother and sister. Which, by the way, uh, Maya watched this with me, and I've been going through the MCU with her. She was thought it was very odd. <laughs> she, I don't think she liked it. Uh, yeah. I there, mean, there's that scene where they really go to town kissing at each other. And the last movie I saw them both in was uh, Age Ultra. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like it's you, not uh, illegal, but I do. Like you, if you cast people as brother and sister and then husband and wife, that is illegal. And I'm not saying it should be should be illegal. I'm not. Saying that, I am saying you need more than a year break. So they well, age, I don't know if they you've look seen different. Disney contracts before, but legally, if they had done this movie, they couldn't have done this movie second because legally, because of Disney contracts, they were brother and sister until that character died. Oh, like they went into a womb. Yeah, and they came out. Yeah, they were legally brother and sister. Yeah, like Mickey, we have a um, big Epcot Center is actually one giant womb. Yeah, have you ever seen Pregnant Sonic? They also do that for Pregnant Mickey. Um, have and... I seen Pregnant Sonic? No. So Peter. Okay, so imagine a normal amount of afterbirth. Triple it, and then double that. Okay, so six times? Yeah, yeah theoretically. Is, is it theoretically? You gave me a very <laughs> specific equation. <laughs> Like you, no, need, no, you, do you need like some solve three, like right? like it's kind of like you got to do like what Fermi's paradox mm-hmm. and give me like some n plus seven and mm-hmm. we we don't know what n is but you gave me very specific <laughs> numbers all the way through. <laughs> I don't know. Did you did you do PEMDAS to get through the equation? Uh, I got it wrong eight times and I <laughs> series of I edited it all out, but yeah. through a series of deductions, I think the answer is six. Yeah. So legally, Elizabeth Olsen and Aaron Taylor Johnson are through the Disney Corporation, um, brother and sister. So it would have been illegal for them to play a husband and wife like the next year. Yeah. Um, but the order of things, you know, with Age of Ultron, it meant that they got to um, live one life and then live a very different life um, the under under the, the under the banner of mouse. Yeah. The whole the whole time in Age of Ultron, they're like, remember, don't kiss. I know last last time we saw each other, the only scenes you were in together, you kissed. But in these scenes, don't kiss. Yeah. We'll have to cut those out. Listen, you saw M. Preg, uh, M. Preg, uh, uh, <laughs> Mickey Mouse, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure Josh Whedon was sensitive about the whole thing. Um, guy's a real asshole. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, when I came out of the Disney womb, I was ready to go within 24 days. But this is apparently uh, we have to we have to give Elizabeth Olsen this, six weeks. Do you want to? We're already kind of getting into it. Let's let's go a little more specifics about 2014. Then we'll go into what we kind of what we like and, and dislike about the other two. Yeah, I'll be like you'll be dislike. Yeah.
really just, we really do, like, high beats of plot. There's not a lot of plot in these, Peter. I, I think we do high beats of plot, we talk about it, we move on to the next one. So, Godzilla 2014, it starts with uh, a young Brian Cranston. This is definitely the era when everyone's like, we gotta make Brian Cranston in everything and make him a movie star, and no one quite cracked it. No one... No one cracked it. No. He has, uh, he's had a, a John Hamm thing, um, like a lot of a lot of that era. I guess like Andrew Lincoln, like a lot of like the leading men on the serious adult dramas. Yeah. Um, what's 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 his name? Michael Chiklis. Yeah. A lot of like, you know, we make fun of actors who resisted being on TV shows for a long time, um, but. There's still, like, in the 2000s, a problem with getting those yeah. actors, like, decent roles. I mean, they get to be in a lot of movies. Brian Cranston's in a lot of movies. But, like, they just, they haven't really made a movie that definitely equals the fame that he had or the role that he had on Breaking Bad. And you're right, John Hamm's another one. Chickless, all those guys. Yeah, like, that. those sort of the brooding, the brooding leading man of that era. Like, the only one that ever really got it was Gandolfini and he was already an actor on screen at that point right he had, he'd been doing like big Hollywood movies in the late 90s before Sopranos yeah but he was, I mean he was still I, he was like his movie roles are good but he was doing mid-budget stuff I feel like too right like he had a lot of clunkers too there was that era where he was doing like the last cat castle and the Mexican and I mean, they they but those but the, but those movies that you just named I think they like made money saving Christmas yeah but I mean I I think this a lot of movies made money that brian cranston was in too but like um but he got to play trumbo oh yeah dalton trumbo it's it's crazy though he like okay so he was in a uh, brian cranston was in a wes anderson movie but in my mind the worst wes anderson movie which was i maybe second worst I, he's he's a, does a voice in isle of dogs oh i haven't seen i love dogs i haven't seen i love dogs or french dispatch french dispatch is great i love dogs is it's it's the worst Wes Anderson movie, maybe that or Darjeeling Limited. Yeah. Um, oh, good! Can't wait to rush out and see something that might be better than Darjeeling Unlimited. But it's still, it's not. Or but limited. neither of them is like a bad movie, right? Eh, it's it's kind like, of a waste of an hour. I mean, I don't know. He's made some of my favorite movies, but like, yeah. Uh, but like yeah. most, of, like I'm looking at his at his at his uh, his work right here, and it's like everything that I can every mem. I've seen a lot of these movies. Every memorable role here is tv yeah like he, like he was really funny and memorable in how i met your mother uh um, seinfeld yeah Tim Wally. yeah yeah uh, obviously malcolm in the middle uh obviously breaking bad yeah um but like everything else in here all the movie roles are just like ugh, yeah i remember he's in ugh. like john carter as like a confederate general for like 20 minutes i might have that wrong but mm. they were they were like yeah. just give him this guy can make anything sing and it's true like he's he's a very good actor but yeah they he's really boring in t- the total recall remake but everyone is um yeah. like he's in like larry crown he's in all these movies i guess like okay his is is f- the film role that he's probably best in you already said trumbo and like <laughs> already said trumbo and like really like shows off his his chops is probably in drive Oh, because like he's good in Contagion. He's good in Lincoln Lawyer. Like he, you like, don't even remember that he's in these. Yeah, he but I don't good even remember in, he's yeah, in he's it. Good in, <laughs> he's good in these movies, but he's he's a good actor. But he he definitely is in. I I think he's really done dirty by this movie. I, it's not a criticism of this movie, but I think 
again, and part of this is what we talked about. There's the stitching together of plots because it kind of just jumps. Like the first 30 minutes is like this secret conspiracy. Brian Cranston's wife played by like Juliette Binoche for some reason. I guess she had a day off and wandered into the set and they're, she's she's in this movie for, I mean, Juliette Binoche is a great actress. Do you think she was like, she was like, oh, I'd like a trip to Japan. You, you think they shot the tunnel she was in, in on location in Japan? She was in the, she was in the neighborhood as well. She's in a house like, scene and in a tunnel. I'm not like, I don't know if they shot those parts. Maybe they did, Peter. I didn't, I didn't go that deep into the on location stuff, but I, I'm suspicious they didn't film that concrete tunnel in Japan. Yeah, but, um, you know, like the, 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 the there's... I think one of the raps that this movie Do you think they the went into the Hollow Earth was, later? <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously. Um, because, you know, some things you just can't replace with CGI. Sure. The, the, the point is that these movies uh, have a rap for, like, wasting really talented actors. Like, and the pedigree across these movies is is pretty pretty rad in terms of actors. Like, especially... All of these think, movies have a good list of... Like, all these movies yeah, have... Like, the, the sequel... Yeah. The sequel in it has CCH Pounder as a throwaway yeah. role as, like, a judge or, like, some, has some sort of, like, legal ca- capability at the UN or something. Yeah. Um, obviously, Ken Watanabe... Great. But, like, in the next movie, we've got well, Bradley Sa- Whitford. Sally Tyler Hawkins Chandler, is in these Vera. two movies? Like, yes. The first two movies? David Strathairn is in it yeah. is a throwaway role, which I'm sure for him is just like, well, my daughter was ready for college, so I need, like, yeah. <laughs> I don't think... Charles Dance is the, is the villain in oh, the yeah, next he's... movie. Zhang Ziyi is in the next movie, and she has almost nothing to do with it except for pull up pictures of demons um like one of the best actresses of the last 10 years um rebecca halls in godzilla versus kong yeah yeah i mean this is true of like we're not going to talk much about kong skull island but the cast in that movie is fucking fantastic too it is and it's also they got millie bobby brown in the in the two sequels to this movie and i think that they got the more adult like not just in terms of literal years, but more adult, more capable actor in King of in Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, um, because she's just like a very charming child actor, essentially in King of the Monsters. She has very little to do except for crying in one scene, and she's a very very good at at you know like hitting the big high notes. Uh, that's why she's really good in Stranger Things. Yep. Uh, um, but like. I don't know, like her capabilities in Stranger Things season one versus her capabilities yeah, in Stranger I mean, Things she, season four are completely she's, she's different. She's evolving from a child to an adult actor. So. Literally, yeah, a li- child. literally, like she yeah. just turned eighteen yeah. or nineteen, right? Um, uh, so, and, and she's she's and there's there's people in this movie that like literally are just like they're just like charm deposits. Yeah, like <laughs> Julian Dennison is also in uh, in Godzilla versus Kong, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, they uh, they have they have great cast. It does feel like like Cran- and I this is actually. Like, I'm not bringing anything new to the table here. It's a criticism at the time, too, that, like, did Cranston have to go back to Breaking Bad? Like, he he feels very of a movie that feels like it's going to be about him. And I I do think the movie may have been better, like, from a human standpoint, if it was about him. He goes away very quickly and then become all everything he was working on just kind of goes away with it. For the most, so really, yeah. So really quickly, so Brian Cranston, his his wife, uh, they they work in Japan in the city, and there's a nuclear power plant, and they both work at the plant, and their son's a kid and going to school there, and there's there's all of a sudden some disruptions at the nuclear power plant. Uh, Brian Cranston sends Juliette Binoche um, to 
to go fix it, but ultimately, like, the power plant's collapsing, they don't know why, and she she dies. And he's sitting there, uh, you know, through, like, doors that are closing that he can't let out because it will kill the town, including their son of radiation. Like, flash, flash forward 15 years, and he is still living in Japan. He keeps getting arrested going into this quarantine zone, which is the city they used to live in because they say the radiation is so high. And Aaron Taylor Johnson is at home with his wife, uh, future sister, uh, Elizabeth Olsen. They get a call. Hey, your dad's been arrested in Japan. And, you know, he, they go to his apartment. And he's got the full, like, newspaper clippings and yarn. And, you know, he's he's going a full Pepe Sylvia situation uh, in, in his <laughs> apartment he's like I, I have to do it like i they're lying about what happened to your mom they've been covering it up for 15 years like there's a conspiracy they know what happened uh he convinces he gets to do one i'll say he gets to do one memorable monologue his monologues are great like the two things where he's like they're hiding like that it was all over the trailers which is why i think people were surprised that brian cranston was not the lead of this movie after 30 minutes uh because it yeah. felt like he was going to be but like basically it's like there's been a conspiracy they know what happened it wasn't that they go back to the city and there's no radiation and it's because they 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 get arrested and they get taken to the secret base that he's been trying to find where they have an egg that's been sucking up all the radiation and there's a government agency called monarch who has been keeping a secret. That's the end of the evil conspiracy plot for the most part, because Monarch is then the good guys for the rest of this. And in that, the, there's a there's a monster that, it, that hatches from the egg. It's called a Muto, it, very insectoid type creature. And there's collapsing things. And Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Cranston are all screaming around the way. They cut to Brian Cranston dead on a helicopter, basically. <laughs> Like that's that's it. He's out of the movie. It is it is like it's it's like, well, we're not a conspiracy movie anymore. Actually, like there's not an evil government plot to cover up the existence of mon- uh, monsters. There was a government plot. It's not evil. Brian Cranston wouldn't have worked with Monarch. Now we need to make, you know, uh, Ken Watanabe and, and Sally Hawkins kind of the heroes of this movie. That's all gone. So it, it this is a byproduct of the way the script was written, too. But. Then so now you have the, a different story. You have the the Mutos, which are hatching. Aaron Taylor Johnson, who just just has to get back home to his his family after you know saying goodbye to his husband. So he gets on a flight to uh, Hawaii to then go back to San Francisco. And the Mutos are attacking. They're making their he, the one Muto. I guess there's only one at this point is making its way to the United States for some reason. It stops. It eats nuclear material. It stops and eats, uh, pulls up a sub and eats it. And then all of a sudden, meanwhile, they're tracking this other bigger noise. Uh, at the very beginning of the movie, you saw um, some some newspaper articles. I love the way all the credits work in these movies, like the redacted and the kind of history of the Monarch organization through these like credit sequences. But essentially, like uh, you find out later that the the the, the nuclear tests in the Philippines. We're trying to we're we're cover up to try to kill Godzilla, uh, which we could put a pin in that. That's probably worth a larger discussion about like how how much that is the one eighty of of the way the original Godzilla portrays them as like evil that created the monster as opposed to secretly good that tried to kill the monster. But that's a larger discussion. Um. So anyway, so yeah. So as you mentioned, Aaron Taylor Johnson when he's in Hawaii, Godzilla uh, shows up in this incredible sequence. I want to talk more about to fight the Mutos. Um, he then gets recruited because his job, conveniently, is nuclear waste disposal expert. 
So he is now kind of working. He's in the army. He's working with the army more and he's trying to get back to San Francisco. Uh, meanwhile, there's another Muto that hatches from um, uh, the Yucca Mountain where they keep all the nuclear waste because they kept it there. And now it's making a beeline through Vegas. They're trying to meet. They're going to have baby Mutos. Um, and as someone who believes that Muto life begins at conception, I think the movie's message of destroy them is wrong. And I think our current Supreme Court <clears throat> would agree. I have a hard time deciding who to side with because, um, obviously, the destroy the world, as far as we know, we're not married. It's challenging, but I mean, if, if God wanted all those babies to exist, which I guess you could argue in this movie, he doesn't. Um,. <laughs> I'm I'm just saying I think Kavanaugh all those all those all those bros would be pretty disappointed with the stance this movie takes. But um yeah, uh yeah. you find out Godzilla's this force that essentially like is a Titan who is protecting uh the earth. So Godzilla in in reminiscent of the Heisei series is not malicious, but he is a destructive force that does is like a like a hurricane or a force of nature. He doesn't care about humans necessarily. He cares about protecting the earth and the mutos. Uh, if they hatch all their eggs, would destroy the earth. And so he is kind of called up from the sea to destroy them. This all converges in San Francisco with um, the military trying to uh, realizing that the mutos are are reproducing, trying to lure them, and then you know can uh, Watanabe's like let them fight. Uh, scene, which is great, um, realizing that Godzilla is the is the person who is best equipped to fight them. Uh, and there's this scene in San Francisco where you have Aaron Taylor Johnson is jumping out of an airplane to recover the nuclear waste, then burning up all the eggs. Um, Elizabeth Olsen trying, who has left her kid to go to on a bus to get out of the city, that bus gets derailed by Godzilla getting having an altercation with the military and destroying the Golden Gate Bridge. Elizabeth Olsen trying to yeah to to evacuate the hospital where she's a nurse, and it ends with um, Godzilla finally using his flame breath in this great scene, which we can talk about, um, and then destroying the Mutos, seemingly falling over dead, uh, and then uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Elizabeth Olsen, their kid being reunited, and Godzilla kind of getting up and walking back in the sea with this idea of. Uh, Godzilla being a savior. So it's very, you probably noticed this this time around, Peter, it's very Heisei era, right? Like Godzilla, not a friend to all, not an evil malicious force, sort of a good guy just based on the fact that like he saved a worse disaster, but he also killed quite a lot of people. Not maliciously, he's an animal. Let's let's take a step back really quickly. Like you talked about uh, the, the origins of this version of Godzilla um and the the way this movie kind of handles the nuclear um the nuclear problem as being uh, divergent from the rest of the movies one of my big problems with this movie is that it feels like it's sort of this wishy-washy like we're going to bring up the uh the Fukushima disaster but we're not actually going to come down on any side about nuclear power like Maybe nuclear power is kind of natural. Like, it's kind of got, like, this muddled, wishy-washy approach to nuclear power, which means it's not really... It's saying things... It's saying things with about filmmaking, spectacle filmmaking, and disaster filmmaking that I really like, and like how how we 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 scope these disasters. It, It 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 um it actually like in a sort of painful way 
um, depoliticizes um, nuclear energy and nuclear bombs. Uh, kind which, like, of. It, I, I think that's only, I mean, I think it's only half. This is very, like, not spelled out. It, it reminds me of the American recut of Godzilla, where you, like, you can look at it and go, the, the original 1954, the, the King of the Monsters cut, where it's like, yeah, I guess it's kind of against nuclear energy. That, that monster was derived from nuclear energy and that's bad so i i I see why it'd be an uh you know anti-nuclear warning of some sort and then you see the you know the japanese original you're like oh my god it's that's all it's about (laughs) very clearly and explicitly and i think that like if you if you if you look at what it's saying it's kind of there it's the idea that, like, these mutos, which Godzilla is saying is a force that needs to be killed, an unnatural force within the ecosystem of titans and monsters and stuff like that, which we see later on with um, Gita on Monster Zero as, like, a, an alien who's act, who's not part of their ecosystem. I, I think the, the idea, at least in this movie, is that the mutos are not part of that. And them, Godzilla has no interaction with nuclear weapons besides they tried to use them to kill him unsuccessfully. But the Mutos do. They feed off it. They live off it. And that's a that's something that – and they replicate and destroy everything. And that's something that Godzilla needs to set straight. So I, I think it's there. I just think it's incredibly muddled and unclear and, and fair or unfair to this movie, not what the movie is trying to do. Yeah, like it, it's um, – it's, I just find it a little – um, disheartening that the movie is like consciously conjuring nuclear disasters of the past, notably one that was in, in the recent past. Um, but like, doesn't seem to have much to say. And I'm, I'm like someone who has like complicated feelings about nuclear power because the Fukushima disaster was caused by like incompetence, not like, um, you know, the inherent dangerousness of nuclear power. Yeah. And there's a global uh, um, warming benefit. Yeah. I mean, if you, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, that is one way we can stop global yeah. warming, but like, you know, if incompetence can happen in one place, can't it happen elsewhere? Yeah. Um, yada, yada. But it is very interesting that in all these movies, nuclear power is like not an issue. Like Godzilla no. doesn't leave behind the sort of, um, nuclear uh waste in his in his uh his throws that that you would normally have and he uses nuke but he does use nuclear power as a like a power up (laughs) because apparently the earth used to be way more have way more surface radiation in the past than it had and and that's part of the reason he retreated and yeah, it, it doesn't have, it really doesn't have all so It's sort of saying Godzilla wasn't created by nuclear power. Godzilla was just sort of like awoken by, awoken in yeah, the he wasn't. era by the amount of surface radiation. Yeah, I, I think that's 100% right. Yeah, because one of the characters explicitly says like he surfaced in the 50s because of the bombs drop. So it's so less about him being created and more about him like, you know, waking up from his home we see in the next movie. Uh, in in a in a water part of the hollow earth and being like, what the hell is going on? It's the idea of like the earth reacting to man's interference, and I think the parallel it's trying to draw. All three of these movies are trying to draw in some ways, and I would say for movies that I almost across the board love, I would say it's unsuccessful at trying to more draw a parallel to global warming. Like man's impact is. It's impacting the environment, it's impacting the world, and so 
these forces within the earth, which in our real world, they're just like changing tides and temperatures and stuff like that, are, are, are reacting to that in a way that negatively affects humanity. Like the thing that people say about global warming um, that is like to try to counteract like the myth that a lot of like conservatives and, and, and global warming deniers would say is like, just to be clear, like the earth will be fine. The earth as a whole will be 100% fine with what man is doing to it. We won't. And many other species won't be. The earth is going to survive, but all these things are going to happen in the earth that is going to be toxic and dangerous to us. And like, that's kind of where these movies are leaning, right? Like, yeah. Like, the, there's changes that are happening causing these these forces that haven't walked the earth in a long time to react to those. And those have a devastating impact on people or can have a devastating impact on people. Again, it's not, yeah, it's not particularly compelling or like the focus on the movie in the same way, like Godzilla, the focus of the original Godzilla was like, Hey, what if another disaster struck Tokyo that, and how would we defeat? Like, it's very much about, and making a movie that is so globetrotting um, inherently makes it, it it decentralizes the the focus, right? Well, yeah, they're like, only in Japan at the very beginning of this movie. Like they never go back there. It's Antarctica. Yeah. It's Hong Kong. It's Honolulu. It's San Francisco. Like they're they're and, not they're not. This isn't yeah. a Japanese centric. Besides, like some of the cultural references. Yeah, and the when they do make cultural references in the sequel, uh, so they make a cultural reference in this movie, which I think is very apt, which is like uh, Sarazawa's character. Uh, so sorry, Ken Watanabe's character, who's, who's uh, named Sarazawa in reference, um, is um, he his uh, his father or his grandfather um, was in um, Hiroshima, yeah, and his watch stopped, and this watch was handed down as a reminder of the day that, you know, the earth changed, like, that, that this sort of genocidal nuclear bomb was, was dropped on Japan, and that is a very powerful message in 2014. I find it super offensive in King of the Monsters when Sarazawa not only takes it upon himself, but, like, after recalling those events takes it like it he becomes tasked with blowing up a nuclear weapon with himself to kill to wake up Godzilla yeah in a sacrificial act i find that like really uncomfortable and i find that like really exploitative in of the 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 history of of um <laughs> the history of, of world war 2 and of japan in a way that like i i do not but it's not but it's with. him so I under I'm not debating your uncomfortableness with it. I do think that like you are giving the credit either, the movie either too much or not enough credit somewhere along of like what it's ultimately about. Like they're doing the Sarazawa thing because that's what Sarazawa does with the oxygen destroyer in like this this these movies are not about the the same themes and i i think where that becomes somewhat uncomfortable is more just along the lines of like the fact that the source material that they're starting with is very much about that and then essentially 30 movies give or take here or there are not about that and you know these movies are very consciously not about nuclear proliferation or or what happened in japan and like you're you're right peter like serizawa in this movie references it as a as a 
understanding about the dangers of mankind. The, 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 that's a, I agree that the callback itself I'm somewhat uncomfortable with because these movies are not about that. So, And if, if anything, referencing how mankind can be a danger in a Godzilla movie and that's explicitly not about like nuclear arms being dangerous is a is a weird comparison but just about the dangers that man can can rot in a more general sense which obviously when you talk about Hiroshima and Nagasaki those aren't general examples those are very specific a very very significant examples of of the the danger that man can do so i don't find him sacrificing himself offensive necessarily just because it's just it's hard. the giving the movie too much credit is like they are clearly going for oh i mean probably a little bit i said this about sally Haw- i'll say this about sally hawkins too like there does feel a little bit of like can we leave these movies to- <laughs> like, we're not really we don't need to be in these movies to sally hawkins and ken she is quickly dispatched in the sequel in a way where i'm like it, it, you know i would feel disrespected if it was on like a tv show i love yeah. but in, in a sort of big budget spectacle movie with like so many talented actors, I was like, yeah, clear the board a little bit. Yeah. Like, get, let Sally Hawkins go make uh, literally anything else. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and say, I mean, say, go make Paddington 3, please. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it feels like, they're, again, they're they're calling back to the movie. They're, they're not calling back to the themes. And I can see why that can feel uncomfortable. And I'm not, again, not debating you. But I think these movies are so explicitly not about that. That it's hard to hold them to accountable for a reference that could be about that, if that makes sense. I, ju- I just think that that's, it's, it's indicative, that moment is indicative, and it, it, that's like the most offensive moment in the in King of the Monsters for me. But it's indicative of King of the Monsters' approach to big budget filmmaking, which is like, we did we did the trope. The old man who wants peace... Uh, d- performs a sacrificial act. He wants the next generation to be better than the previous generation. And like, you know, he's carrying the sins of other people in his sacrificial act that the elder, older guy is like, I'll hold the line for you. Like he closes the airlock behind himself or he, he cuts off his radio so he can go fight the Cylons or whatever the fuck. Right. Like he, there's there's a, there's this trope in big budget spectacle yeah. movies of the old guy makes the sacrifice that the elder, the elder makes the sacrifice the the um, the person that's 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 most senior makes that sacrifice. And, uh, and I think the movie is full of moments like, like that where you're like, oh, well, this happened so this we're making a big budget movie we should deploy this trope but they sort of like deploy the tropes in king of the monsters in a way that's really like thoughtless um i think whereas i think in godzilla 2014 when they're deploying these tropes like they're with deploy these tropes they're more often than not subverting the tropes like what do you expect out of a big budget movie where buildings get smashed most of godzilla 2014 is like subverting what you would expect that scene to look like or feel like or um, how characters are are internalizing that sort of thing, which is like, as you said, you said the word awesome earlier, like in its in its truest sense, like full of awe, like yep. t- shock and shock and terror and awe, and like just this moment of like, it's it's this is so much bigger than you that like all you can do is kind of like be mouth agape, and I don't know, like I I think these movies are kind of muddled, but I think that to kind of get off that a little mm-hmm. bit because these movies are not going to say anything cogent about nuclear power, yeah. um. The movies are though about the three the three movies we have right now, um, plus maybe Skull Island. I don't know. I haven't watched it since it came out. Um, are about um, global warming 
because global warming is the new nuclear power now that we're we're post cold war right like yeah. that is the greatest existential threat to mankind like during the cold war it was yeah, was, I think Skull Island's probably. Like, I, I actually watched it somewhat since recently. the dawn of the industrial um, revolution, but yeah, a little bit military but, industrial, but, but, a little um, bit the colonialism. Cold, the Cold War. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like the greatest existential threat, like a few dumb mistakes have almost. There's a great book uh, called Command and Control. It's all about nuclear power. Like it, it, it's really in- instructive of how many times like we almost blew ourselves up. Yeah. Um, transitioning out of the cold war sort of like james bond had to do right yeah they have to find new enemies new things to look at and like godzilla is indicative of yeah like sort of a natural order like is there does does mankind's uh unchecked growth um need a check and balance um and i think that that works really well it's one of the things about king of the monsters that i do like is sort of like it's more of a global warming metaphor um yeah even with storms and and everything like that are getting kicked up so and then godzilla versus kong is just like let's make a big silly movie i don't think godzilla versus kong has much on its mind <laughs> well so godzilla versus kong i mean it what the director says is that like he biggest inspiration which uh fun guest of the show brandon leday uh would say it was about uh was about wrestling like he he really adam wingard was like i think he like he modeled um Godzilla after the Undertaker and King Kong was supposed to be like an underdog character that I, I think his name might be Sean. I forgot to write down the notes and I don't know wrestling that well. I know Undertaker um, and I don't know the other just the guys with just guy names. I don't know that well. Um, you got to have a cool wrestling name like Jake the Snake where I understand that that man had a snake sometimes. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so like he- Henry the Ornery. That was that was kind of his like uh, theme, which I think is shows. And he also wanted King Kong to be like John McClane in Die Hard, um, which is not subtle. And I love it for that. Like there's, there's a shot where he literally, Kong jumps off a boat exploding. That is the pose and shot of John McClane jumping off the building with the hose around him exploding. Like it's and I think that's extraordinarily you're intentional. So right. You're yeah. so right. Yeah. Um, Molly and I noticed that as a shot reference yeah. and laughed at it. And she was like, "It's like Die Hard." And I was like, "I know." No, like, it like it both... is explicitly yeah, like Die Hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it helps that her and I watch Die Hard fairly regularly, yeah. but um, that's not a problem. But the uh, the when you get to Kong, uh, Godzilla versus Kong, Kong in that movie, all of his sounds, uh, his needle drops are all like dad rock yeah. and like well he he, he, he met john goodman and samuel jackson the 70s and they they were rocking out to all the 70s soundtrack so yeah gotta <laughs> keep it consistent yeah he had a few he only had a few tape decks and it's in, in, in my favorite thing about that movie is that it recalls my fi- the, the one of the i liked basically two things in the original king kong versus godzilla one big castle that gets blown up at the end yeah. uh two uh Less sincerely, I I do I do love um, that Godzilla or that King Kong has a sort of a, a divorced dad uh, <laughs> who's, who's maybe maybe slugging him back a little bit too often, um, yeah. kind of energy. And Godzilla waking up in in Godzilla versus Kong and just scratching his ass um, yeah. and being like John McClane, sort of you know do- divorced dad energy. Uh, <laughs> tremendous. Well, he has like, a great art. Uh. The reason why I think, I think, like, I originally would have ranked them, I think, with King of the Monsters slightly higher than Godzilla versus Kong. But I mean, we're talking both four and a half star movies. I do like Godzilla versus Kong more this time. And I think what really works is that you're, you're 100% right. With Godzilla versus Kong, 
first of all, Kong is a great character arc in the movie. Like, and it has a happy ending, right? Like, he he really feels like an underdog. He gets his ass kicked all the time. He's doing the John McClane, like escaping from explosions. He goes like he's like has a something he wants to do that he's because they they um they have him speak sign language, which I think Peter is uh, a reference to the movie Congo, or potentially that that happens in real life. I'm not sure which one. Um, <laughs> it's either a reference it's to either a reference um, to the film explicitly the film, not the book congo or that yes that's absolutely happened in real life uh yeah what do you think yeah, was more present I mean, on the on adam wingard's mind was he like coco the gorilla and that screenshot you see of him talking to mr rogers sometimes or the 1995 film congo and uh i was trying to either remember the name of the main the star or the director and i can't for either so that's why there was some weird pause Trying mm-hmm. to give it more, mm-hmm. you know, hoots, whatever. So, uh, some prestige. Dad from Nip Tuck. Um, yeah. loves, I want to say his name's uh, Peter. What do you think? Sure. Sure. I mean, am, is his name Peter? My, or am I talking my, to someone named Peter name. and that's why that's coming to mind? It's very hard. Let's merge my forename. Your forename? <laughs> What's the opposite of a surname? Um, uh, a name? What's it a name? Oh, name. Just a name. What's, let's let's see if I got it right. Like, did I somehow remember? I think it's I think it's bad that Congo movie comes up before Congo country. I mean, <laughs> Dylan Walsh, not even close. But he played Doctor Peter Elliot. That's where that's where my head was at. I have, I probably remember him. Amy going, love Peter, <laughs> love Peter. That's how Amy talks. Cause it's she goes yeah she goes martini martini more bad gorilla back back yeah and part of the so this this is making me now start to think that it's more inspired by real life than the film Congo because they never hook up a voice box to King Kong <laughs> <laughs> well the difference between this movie uh, Godzilla versus Kong and Coco the gorilla is that I, I do genuinely believe that that King Kong knows sign language I agree yeah. The rest was a fraud perpetrated by lazy scientists. Yeah, the rest, scientists. The rest was a fraud. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a hollow earth. I'm surprised that this wasn't Alex Jones' favorite movie, and then we had to disassociate. <laughs> yeah, they managed to they managed to make a hollow earth movie that doesn't see, feel like it has dog whistling. Yeah, um, um, but yeah, him being like a main character who has an arc and has a redemption and like gets to say he's home and everything like that. It's great, like. That, I mean, that's that's what kind of tips it over the head, the edge for me. Like to step back a second on like King of the Monsters. So, King of the Monsters really quickly is about it's essentially a remake of of uh, Geeter of the Three Headed Monster, which I I called out to you um, when we watched that. Then, in some ways, King of the Monsters is like a a, a stealth remake of this, where uh, essentially. Uh, there's uh, there's Ghidorah, who is, we find out later, they call him Monster Zero. We find out he's not part of the Titan ecosystem, but comes from another planet. But that there's alphas within the Titan ecosystem who kind of keep the other monsters and forces in check. And so there's a there's a kind of a fight for who controls what monster. And so, like, 
uh, Ghidorah uh, fights Godzilla, Rodan fights Godzilla, and then there's Mothra with Infant Island, the twins, all those kind of things, who essentially comes to try to save Godzilla, break King, uh, King Ghidorah's spell, and, and eventually Godzilla retains his title of King of the Monsters after defeating uh, King King Ghidorah. And then in between that is human characters, which, again, I told you this, Peter, the consensus is they are... Uh, terrible for a Godzilla movie, and I really don't think that is true. I think they are uh, as compelling as Aaron Taylor Johnson or Elizabeth Olsen, and I understand those characters are not are are ciphers. And I think in some ways these are just they're just not that interesting characters. I don't find like I like all the actors. I don't think Alexander Skarsgård as a character is all that interesting. They don't do much with him in that movie. I don't think the evil daughter of Sarah, uh, the evil daughter of the cybernetics division is all that interesting. I don't think Sarah Zawa's son, who's for some reason an evil dipshit, is all that interesting. Like, they're very broad strokes. The one thing I will give this movie some credit for. I genuinely, I genuinely didn't know that was Sarah Zawa's son. I, I must have, I must have skipped that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I, none of them are, they're all very, like, te- template characters, right? This is the scientist who has a, pr- a crazy theory that gets proven right by a uh, uh or get, yeah a ceo gives him money to fulfill his goal he, no one cares talks about how they're feeling rebecca hall just looks after kong that's what you know about her has an adopted daughter who ends up speaking sign language to kong like there i don't think any of these movies i think brian cranston is the that's not true i think like um, Ken Ken uh, Wanatabi is is really good, but even he yeah, is Ken Wanatabi is really 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 good in those in those moments. But a lot of that is just natural charisma, man. Like a lot of that is just like what he's bringing, not what he's given. A hundred percent. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like he's just there to be. He's the scientist who is trying to warn everyone. He is the Sarazawa of of these movies, both literally and figuratively. There's there's not a lot of characterization. I will say the thing about King of Monsters before I get to the spectacle part, which I, I do want to talk about briefly at least. The thing about King of the Monsters that I think from a human character makes it somewhat interesting and compelling is it is the only Godzilla movie where our main protagonists are directly and negatively affected by something that Godzilla did. All these movies, including the Showa era, era ones where he's a friend to all, like sometimes they have fights out in the fields. But sometimes they have fights in the city and there's a lot of collateral damage that happens through those fights. And like no movie ever follows it up for the most part with especially one that sees Godzilla as a hero, which they do at the end of Godzilla 2014 and recognizing like he's a hero and that he saved the planet. But like if you lost a kid to Godzilla trampling through San Francisco, you may have a different perspective on Godzilla savior of the planet. And so like what King of the Monsters is doing, not not any better than any of these characterizations. I would just note. Like I don't think it does a good job with this. But I do think it's at least somewhat compelling to take this idea of a, a family who has been negatively affected from someone that the world has set as a hero. And like the two different ways that parents in this unimaginable grief reckon with that. One, by, you know, going into escapism and instead of being connected with the world at all, um, 
taking photos of wolves and sending them to emailing them to his daughter. And then the other one, the mother, who is like, hey, I what you eventually learn is that she's working with these eco terrorists led, led by Charles Dance, where her take is that I want my son like she kind of goes a little bit. I don't know, nuts is probably like is not a great way to say it in real life, but in this movie, in a movie character that's not well drawn, I think it's fair to say where she's like, I want him dying to be good. And the way that I see him dying being good is if that it's good that Godzilla killed all these people. And so that it is we should let them all loose and basically stop global warming. They're kind of like they're not good eco-terrorists. They are the they're like what my parents and people like my parents think all people who believe global warming is is like is that it's a secret plot to kill everyone to protect the planet. But I again, I don't think there's a lot to talk about beyond that. But I will give the movie credit for doing something at least theoretically interesting of what how their characters are interacting with a world with giant monsters. So, okay, so I, I, it, it, I, for me, it only indicates in that direction and then horribly fumbles the But, I, I, like, yeah, I agree with that. I'm saying that that feels like the same thing with Brian Cranston's character in the first one. Like, I don't, I don't think these movies have enough interest in the human characters. They're not fulfilling the, the role of, like, the Godzilla versus Biolanti characters who have a whole other plot going on that sometimes is impacted by monsters, but is not, like, constantly and only there to be directly affected by monsters. All of these movies take the, like, first few Godzilla movies era where these characters only exist on screen because of their interaction with the monsters and almost nothing else. But... Invasion of the Astro Monster is one of the best ones, and that is entirely about, like, the humans are doing as much to fight off the aliens as... But that's what I'm saying. uh, I'm saying Invasion of the Astros is a good example of the opposite of what all these movies are doing, where where, where you can take away the monsters and have a pretty okay invasion... like uh alien plot like these movies these human characters don't exist which is what some of the godzilla movies are like these human characters fundamentally don't exist and have nothing interesting and this is throughout all three movies without how they interact to what the monsters are doing and i think godzilla versus kong works more or less on on like a very basic level in that because they made kong the main character they make kong the main character who's the best character in these three movies by far and then they also have like a, the side the side characters like the um, um, uh, Millie Bobby Brown, um, uh, Julian Dennison, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, like as a sort of like conspiracy theorist yeah. like podcast group is yeah, like very cult. super funny. Yeah. Personally, it's super personally banged. You feel personally attacked. Well, yeah, I'm a podcaster, Peter. So I don't. I don't oh like yeah. That they did, you, did you like the? Did you like in, in Halloween 2018 when they they slaughter podcasters in the no. gas station bathroom? Felt personally <laughs> affected. Feels like violence being perpetrated against me because. Um, uh, although I guess in this movie they're the heroes. So. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I was in the theater and I shouted, "I'm a podcaster. Step on my neck, Michael Myers." Yeah, but that's just because you got your Michael Myers kink. Yeah, well, and I would never kink shame. It's also the whole wanting to die thing, but you know, um, to each his own. Um, but the 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 point is, Godzilla that, like, could step on your neck and you won't even know it. 
I mean, he wouldn't even know. He wouldn't even be personally affected. Yeah. He would be like yeah. M. Bison in the Street Fighter movie. Like, for you. Oh, absolutely. It was a bad day where you would crush the smithereens. For me, it was a Wednesday. For Godzilla, it was like the 19th lunar cycle yeah. or some shit like that. For me, Amuto comic. was loose. <laughs> Maybe it's like Dragon Ball Z where like we see the fight over like uh, two hours, but it really took five minutes because um, these guys just operated yeah. at a different speed. Great reference, I understand. Uh, anyways, um, so um, the point was that uh, King of the Monsters does something that bothers me in almost... Uh, every movie that's like yeah that it's basically like a boomer's idea of what like an eco-terrorist yeah. is which is like on deadly ground is the old is one of the older examples i can think of the new bond movie does it yeah. it's um, annoying and ivy and all, and all the batman movies do it and because i'm like because i want them i want these movies to like actually wrangle with the concept like like would this work and at what cost? Yeah. Would this avoid more deaths later if we can keep humanity in check? Will humanity learn? Would humanity even learn anything from something that horrifying? Like, or would it just be yet another tragedy before global warming comes and gets us? Like, well, the problem is you'd like, have to kill a, the hundred leaders of the hundred corporations who were doing. I mean, that's. I agree with you. I I hate this as a plot point because, especially for movies that are technically about how global warming is bad and i'm not saying this movie needs to be first reformed no but i need the i need the movie to like when when somebody is like you know maybe the eco-terrorists have a point i need the movie to ha like build up like some sort of ideological struggle that's not me going oh that character just did a heel turn for no fucking reason <laughs> yeah there's not there's there's not uh you're right there's no fundamental like uh, argument about the ethics of what they're doing besides just uh i think an obviousness to what they're doing is wrong which i mean i agree with but i also agree yeah i hate the like painting as a boomer idea of someone this is what people will believe in global warming fundamentally want it's like no like no one actually uh being uh against the stopping of global warming is about saving lives and we just need to change the way that we use technology and the way that impacts the planet so, like it's not about like if we kill three million billion people like are they gonna stop as many factories like i don't think so maybe in this world yeah. where godzilla's stomping them but uh yeah i it's it is it's frustrating i i don't disagree with that i but i yeah None of these movies wrangle with anything that seriously. And if that's that that's a fair criticism to hold these movies to. Yeah. But at least the first one, I think, built up It's about spectrum. It's a, it's, a, it's a reaction to global warming and these sort of like larger than life forces that are coming in. Uh, I don't totally know what it means when there's a Godzilla versus a Muto. Maybe that's like if a hurricane put out a forest fire. I don't <laughs> totally know. Um but <laughs> um the I mean, if uh, anyone should have a perspective, you you should. I, yeah. Would you like? Uh, a, I hate to be on fire. I would not like to be in a hurricane. But would you rather be wet or on fire? Oh, wet yeah. for sure. But yeah, I mean, I I probably like you know bring my rain boots, the whole deal. But um, yeah, I mean, the most yeah, the also, most dangerous thing that can happen on the water is you go on a boat with Christopher Walken. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, yeah, because he never. Well, even if even if jacket, he wasn't right? directly involved, it was still very dangerous to be on that boat. I mean, 33 percent, thirty three percent of people didn't come back from that boat. I mean, I don't know if the Titanic, the survival rate on the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, one hundred percent of the people came back changed in both 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 
terrible situations. Uh, I mean, I bet you. I it's bet either you funny that we thought of the same things or don't know enough about boat disasters to have another reference point. Yeah. Yeah. What was Edmund the survival Fitzgerald? rate of Lusitania? <laughs> oh, good. We went different. <laughs> Listen, we came up with oh, two Lusitania, boats. I think like eight people died. Um, What was this? Uh, what was the George Costanza? Was it the Edmund? It wasn't the Edmund Fitzgerald where um, George is pissed because there was a boat disaster, but barely anyone died. <laughs> The guy yeah, got the yeah, yeah. That yeah, and there was like there was some means of commemorating like, it. How, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, he's like, what? Like six people died? How many people died in a normal <laughs> cruise? Ten or twenty? <laughs> but yeah, I, okay. So like, my problem with King of the Monsters is like, not only is this plot just not that compelling, like. There's quite a bit of focus on the humans in the movie compared to the other two movies. Um, and, and, and most of what's happening to Vera Farmiga is forced upon her. And it's not an interesting movie to have. It's not interesting to have Vera Farmiga and Millie Bobby Brown just get dragged around places while the bad guys just go, do you want to shoot your daughter? Like 10 fucking times. And then, and then eventually she just does the thing they want him to do. Like just have the villains go around doing bad things. Like I don't, I don't totally understand why Vera Farmiga or Millie Bobby Brown are in this movie at all. Um, but so the, the, the thing that bothers me about King of the Monsters is that like, okay, so the first movie, the Godzilla 2014, as we've discussed before, it's, like, very much focused on, like, how horrifying it would be to be, it, it, not even just Godzilla attacks and him crushing buildings, you know, not just the wrecking ball, but, like, being in the surrounding um, aura yeah. of him. He's literally causing hurricanes, and we watch, like, people tsunamis away. and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, I, we didn't did pause there quickly, and then we can go back to King of the Monsters. That scene of what it would be like with a creature of that magnitude emerging, we talked about scale. Like, when he emerges from Hawaii, and there's that, like, we've seen that ripple in other Godzilla movies, including, like, even Emmerich's, right? There's the ripple where he comes out and it destroys a dock. But, like, this giant, unimaginable tsunami wave that gets bigger and bigger and scales building and takes cars with it and just stuff like that, it is... Just tremendously well executed on every level, and just completely terrifying. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I love that about the first movie. It's like very, very much focused on. Okay, so the flip side of you getting to watch buildings get smashed um, is that there are people that uh, had lives and existences, and were on vacation, and were going to work, and coming back from work, and. Um, that were all around there, right? And the movie is very, very much shot from this like perspective of all the monster, which we've talked about a lot. In King of the Monsters, they it, it feels like a half step between that and Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, which is why because... like I, I'm we didn't talk about this, and like it's not something I'm like actually annoyed with you about, but I do wonder what your perception would have been because you Kong is kind of the like oh, fuck, like, there were some jokes about the Hollow Earth and King of the Monsters, now they're just in the Hollow Earth. Like, it does feel like an escalation of tone. And you, mistakenly, just an accident, watched Godzilla 2014, Godzilla vs. Kong, and then King of the Monsters. I was going off of memory, and I had not seen the latter two yeah. movies. Um, so I was, I, I just was like, all right, well, that's, this is the next one on HBO. <laughs> Let's go. Because um, I was kind of racking them up. And um it does this king of the monsters does feel like a half step between the true like 
let's abandon any sense of seriousness. Let's just get to what is what is uh, what do these characters mean to us as people? Um, kind of let's gawk at, at the horror. Um, let's let's abandon that uh, and get straight to um, these things as, as as sort of titans, as gods, yeah. as, as as things that st- that stomp across the earth and define our decide our fate. And all we can really do. Um, is is slightly inter- it, it inconvenience them so that Godzilla has a moment to catch his fucking breath. Uh, yeah. And in King of the Monsters, the, if if King of the Monsters was more wall to wall with with great um, fights, I would be into it. But there's also a perspective shift that happens from the first movie to this movie that's very interesting. And I I'm uh, gonna be a broken record here. Um, you know you know he's got to do it. The first movie is actually. I think a really good cosmic horror movie because it's, it's about this thing that we can never understand. We have no control over like every, every single organization seems completely inept at handling anything about it. Like we have, we have no real understanding of, of, of his, his, um, his background. We just know he's old. Like there's so much mystery and, and, well, I mean, and, truly, I mean, I think King of the Mon- you're gonna, you're going to say that you don't think it. I almost, I almost said that earlier because it is like, oh, these are elder gods who have reemerged. But like, okay, so like, uh, yeah, so like, that's the contrast point I'm going to make. So like, and, and I like, I like both, uh, both points there. Um, Godzilla 2014 feels like a cosmic horror movie, like in tone, like what I think like matters more, which is like, I feel helpless. I feel these things are bigger than me. You just kind of have to hope that um, these two titans that are going at each other, like. <laughs> the one the winner benefits you in some way right like um there's the mutos actually tend to ignore people altogether they're not eating individual people no i love that like they just go i mean that's actually true of most of these movies but like um up until the last one but i love the way like when the muto goes from the yucca mountain to san francisco it walks through vegas it doesn't crash in, it doesn't destroy vegas yes. it just walk it's line of sight right yeah and the the when the Muto is eating a downed nuclear bomb in the woods and a bunch of uh, commandos find him, they shine their flashlights up at the Muto and you expect the Muto to freak out and start eating him. The Muto is just like, I don't know what you fucking things are, but I, I, it either doesn't recognize them, like you wouldn't recognize maybe a bug because you're just like focused on your sandwich, but like it sought out that nuclear power, it ate the nuclear power, and I think all those soldiers survived that in exchange with that Muto because they were of no interest. They, they absolutely, and, they and, didn't. Only he did. He washed up on the beach. No, you're thinking of okay. So you're they are this. Oh, this you're talking about the Yuka stuff. Sorry, they. I'm talking about in the there's they're in like a jungle somewhere, and there's like a downed nuclear bomb. Oh no, in like they the woods. Oh, that's for the submarine. Well. They they do die because they he he explodes the submarine and stuff like that when they try to start shooting. Yeah, he, he yeah, does kind of like, react to them shooting them. Um, but he he's like pretty much a muted reaction. Like he doesn't really know. Yeah, what's he's going under attack. Yeah. And then and then there's that great great sequence. There's, there's two really great sequences of like what feels like cosmic horror to me. And one is where well, there's the two soldiers. So it's Aaron Taylor Johnson and another oh, soldier. Yeah. They're lay and they lay on that suspended bridge. And the Muto is just underneath him. Yeah. And again, you're seeing and, from yeah, their perspective. It's great. Agreed. And you're seeing from their perspective, you know that there's nothing. At this point, you know those machine guns ain't doing shit. Yeah. You know that nukes actually are probably not doing anything anymore them. either. 
Like, well, they still, that's their plan. That's the army's plan always. Like, we're going to have to drop a new count in San Francisco. They're like, we tried that. They're like, no, nah, this one's bigger. That's the one thing I like about King of the Monsters, like, in terms of adding to the Godzilla lore. I feel like it's the first time that anybody has recognized, like, oh, actually, if we want to make Godzilla stronger. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can't think of that happening. I'm, sh- I mean, I'm sure it's happened before, but I can't think of it happening in any of the movies we watched so far. And so far, it's been people like, we have to stop Godzilla. What should we do? Drop a nuke on him? And you're like... Two movies ago, you found out yeah. that he was nuclear-powered. Why would adding more I mean, nuclear to the nuclear make you... <laughs> one, one thing I love about, with the exception of, like, the, the King of the Monsters thing, the whole thing is, like, they almost never try to do anything to stop the monsters. Like, that, that's kind of been a running joke that I've we've talked about throughout this series, where it's like... Yeah, every every single every single Godzilla movie, they still pull out those goddamn tanks. Like, what? Are the, yeah, the tanks are never going to work. Like here, they eventually decide to use the military to help um, distract Ghidorah enough for Godzilla to do something, with the recognition that nothing they're going to try is going to work. Yeah, which I which and, I and like. Speak- and speaking of that helplessness, the other sequence that I absolutely love, and I think maybe oversold the movie a little bit in the trailer is the halo jump. Oh yeah. That's um, great. Where though. they're they're parachuting down on Godzilla. I, they, I I'm forget they're playing um like uh it's not Threnody for the victims of Hiroshima. They're playing a, a song from I think it may be the song from 2001. They're playing like a yeah. piece of classic. It sounds like the buzzing of insects. It's so it's 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 so unnerving yeah. and so creepy and that and was the red a trailer sky, basically. Yeah. The red sky, smoke coming down. You're seeing Godzilla's um just mass his shape because Godzilla Cause you're, you're, you're zoomed in on the sky feet. yeah you're zoomed in on the skydiver so you see them pass like so just like tiny sections of him as they go past so not only is this these movies this is Godzilla's true transition into the CGI era right yeah. um they played around with it in the millennium era to sounds like mostly mixed results um and uh mostly negative results and uh definitely uh, absolute shit for the Roland Emmerich version yeah. right um but this is his true emergence into CGI, and I was, and when I saw that trailer, I was like, "Oh, they're doing things that they can never do with Suitmation right now with the the Halo, the Halo jump sequence, yeah. and that yes, that red high contra- contrast shot, and it's just Halo jumpers just sort of like going soaring past Godzilla almost in slow motion because he's so fucking big, yeah. Um, is and they're playing yeah classical music score. That's great cosmic horror to me. Great, that is yeah. that is a sense of that is a sense of something that's so so much so big so much bigger than you that like it barely recognizes your existence. Like it barely has any any concept of a you. It definitely doesn't care about like your hopes and dreams for the world. Like it is singularly focused on its own tasks. Yeah. Whether or not your apartment was there or not. <laughs> yeah, I mean and that's then, for, until you get to Kong. I do like I, I feel like you're about to say, and that's what didn't work for you in King of the Monsters. I actually think King of the Monsters, it does it a little bit differently because it's its focus is less on scale and more on spectacle. But I, I I love that about King of the Monsters that it does feel like these like ancient weird gods that they've been kind of monitoring, and some you get like almost the uh, cabin in the woods quick view screen of all these other monsters they've discovered that are again uh, they only got they only bought so many rights for toho creatures so they're just other uh cgi monsters giant spiders and uh woolly mammoths and stuff like that but like i i i think that's a a thing that carries through 
at least the first two movies. So I, I okay, so it's it's different. It's it's most assuredly different in certain terms of tone of King of the Monsters because yeah. King of the Monsters never t- really tries to set up a sense of like horror and, and awe. I don't think it's it's about big spectacle. Also, King Ghidorah is like specifically sort of um, framed as a demonic figure. Well, a cosmic King Ghidorah. He kind of came from space. But they're but they're literally pulling up pictures of like ancient demons and William Blake. Um, they, they pulled up the William Blake illustration of the Red Dragon. Yeah, because he cra- But the idea being that like he crashed to space a long time. He crashed into yeah, Earth a long time. Yeah, yeah. And like people didn't know how to wreak havoc on the uh, on the Godzilla Titan, in, uh, you know, infrastructure, or whatever. Y- yeah, like the the um the people didn't even know how to how to digest yeah. it at the time, and so he kind of popped up at, here and there. But King Ghidorah seems like a genuinely evil figure, yeah. and like there's shots where he will take time just to zap little marines on the ground. Where I'm like, I don't think the Mutos would have given a shit about that. Like I don't think like the Godzilla ever even is in his most uh most angry really gave a shit about like well, yeah. people on the ground. Like he feels like specifically to me like a demonic angry god that's like yeah. that's like uh, like in a way that which, like which feels you kinda less. Is. Yeah. I it feels it feels less less cosmic horror to me. I do actually really like the design especially yeah. for a CGI. The part that makes it makes the movie feel Lovecraftian is of course what you're referring to which is the titan thing where we go underwater we basically see like an atlantean the we basically day. see the cthulhu underwater world yeah we see and we see where godzilla's like throne yeah. was right like godzilla's throne is where he's like essentially like he has a throne that like is a, a charging pad for his nuclear energy and um he lived in he lived in relier yeah. he lived in, in an atlantean sort of a uh, hyperborean society Sucking up real yeah. energy or whatever. Yeah. Well, and that's so you. I think you called it right. Like, I I like that these movies fluctuate through tone. I think it's consistent with what I've always loved about Godzilla. You get you get the super serious nuclear stuff. You get the crazy alien space adventure. You get a weird family drama. Like, you know, you th- that's kind of been what the the. The thing that the MonsterVerse gets really right, not about necessarily Godzilla, but about a Godzilla Godzilla series, is the fact that they don't need to be consistent to still feel of a piece. And so, like, I didn't need... Like, I would have been interested. I know uh, 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 the director of Godzilla 2014 said that he was interested in making his version of Destroy All Monsters, which is, again, all, all these monsters on an island with space aliens. I don't know if he would have gone space aliens, but, like, I would have been interested to see you know, Gareth Edwards version of that. Um, I do like though, that, that instead of just doing the same thing, which I think is like, I think if they would have made a Godzilla with another monster or another Toho monster character and just kind of done the same thing where I think that would have been less satisfying. It's great in 2014, but I do like that. They said, Hey, or Michael Doherty, you know, it's like, I want to do, I want to, you, you called it the toy box earlier, like, Peter. That's, like, let's let's do these, like, Mothra, Rodan, Ghidorah, Godzilla, like, the big, famous, beyond just appearing in a Godzilla, famous beyond just Godzilla fans. Let's kind of do this Ghidorah, the three-headed monster reboot, and just do it on a scale that is just, like, unprecedented to where these movies were 50 years ago from just a f- pure thrilling 
spectacle filmmaking. And again, I'm in the pocket for this stuff because I loved all this. I loved Mothra. I loved Rodan. And seeing all these just insane sequences of Ghidorah swirling in shadows in the clouds and Rodan, you know, flying through that. Like, it is like hitting me on a fundamental like level of just I love this and I saw this in theaters and that's how I felt like I felt like I wanted to cheer I watched it when it came out on blu-ray and it felt the same way and watched it again now like I I just like again it is it is I agree less overall like compelling of a movie than uh, King Kong is John McClane versus the forces of evil or you know what everything that I think you know it's done really well in 2014 around like uh, showing the scale of giant monsters and everything else. But there is just something fundamental of, that I love around, you know, those scenes of like Godzilla and Ghidorah just charging at each other and the, how it looks just fucking amazing. And it's it it it's, you know, there's there's a there's a version of me that of the, like it just tickles everything I want from that perspective, and it it makes me very very happy. And the the human character stuff, I think, like I, I've said my my piece on that. I don't think they're more or less compelling. I think some of the stuff is stupider and, <laughs> around it. But man, I just I mean, it's not compelling from a podcast perspective to say it like this, Peter. But I like those. Those monsters smashing into each other is like everything I imagined in my head when I saw the Ghidorah on the wires like swing into Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it is such a shame though that we got we went straight from the Suitmation era to the CGI era, and we never had like a series of like eighties stop motion animation ones. I mean, they tried, right? They tried. Yeah. Oh, it's a shame. It's a shame. I I understand some people were. We're upset by by that concept, but like, is that more blasphemous than a fully CGI Godzilla? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I these. Uh, I that's the thing. It looks it great. looks, it looks amazing. Wrong. Like, like you have Mothra really fighting Rodan. You have, I mean, all that stuff just in my lizard brain, childhood brain. It's everything I've ever wanted to see. And so, like, I was interested. Part of the reason I was interested for you seeing this movie, Peter, is having been having seen so many Godzilla movies in a row. And having would would where would you fall? Would it just be like, hey, it's fucking cool as shit to see these these monsters that I've just seen like good incarnations and not so good incarnations like done to this scale? Or would I, you know, again, seemingly a little bit confusingly still from my perspective, align with the idea that somehow this movie has the human characters that are that are so bad it takes away from the movie as a whole? When again, I just I don't think I think that's generally true of Godzilla movies and as a whole yeah i just think that the strength of direction that it was never really about whether or not i found the characters like immediately like um identifiable like sure in the first movie they're very identifiable like a doomed couple facing off against like apocalyptic situations like very identifiable right uh but in uh you know a lot of them it's not about whether or not it's identifiable it's sometimes it's about the, does the filmmaking um imbue this sense of, of danger and immediacy and caution and do I feel like I'm in danger? Like whether or not, like whether or not I care about the characters individually. Like are the characters that's, decent? Th- yeah, ciphers? that's fair. I mean, and I don't think that I, I don't think that they work as decent ciphers in King of the Monsters. They're actually remarkably they're stupid. Too. They're yeah. very dumb. There's a lot of sequences where people are just like inexplicably in the way of danger. Where you're like, why are you even here? 
Like, why do they even land at at uh in in, in Boston and by helicopter at the end of the well, movie? Well, they're trying like, they're what's... trying to save. I mean, she ran away there with the thing to attract the monsters. Oh, so they're gonna they're gonna like drop forty marines to no. save Millie Bobby Brown? No, I mean, <laughs> they, it's the two people. It's the people running the program. Yeah, he wants to. They want they want to save their kid. I mean, that's uh, I mean, that's kind of what happens in the first one. Too, I guess. I, I would raise my kid to save them. Sorry, <laughs> well, she did. She did fine. Um, they, yeah. The, uh, I guess I'm less talking about you. I, although I think you you aligned with the critical consensus around King of the Monsters. I'm not not making saying that's right or wrong. I, I align with a lot of critical consensuses. I just like the the consensus of King of the Monsters was so weird because I felt like in 2014 the big criticism was how shitty the human characters. And then I will say the consensus for 2019's King of the Monsters was why didn't they, the characters are so shitty, why didn't they make them good like in 2014, which felt like counterfactual to a lot of the reviews I read at the same time. And then Ryan noted this in our text chat about this, where he's like, and then they did Godzilla versus Kong and the reviews were like, finally, they don't even worry about the human characters. And like, so I think there's, again, trying to rail against critical consensus. I don't want to sound like I'm a weird person who's like, are you getting paid by Marvel to badly rate Suicide Squad? But like, again, the the consensus around the human characters just has felt very odd. For my, I, I think the only one of the three that has good human characters is King is is uh, Godzilla vs Kong, um, and that's because there's at least comic relief characters, and the little girl that Rebecca Hall works with is super charming. Yeah, that's I like, mean that's the best character in all these movies. It's all the like side sort of comic and, and heart tugging kind of characters in, in Godzilla vs. Kong that work, and yeah. it has King Kong, which is the best. And like I'll always take an evil uh 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 like CEO. Give me an evil CEO, yeah. give me an Elon Musk who creates Mecha Godzilla. And again, to go to Godzilla vs. Kong, which I think is the nice thing, that one is really going like we can do whatever. We we I I wouldn't have been surprised if there was an alien teaser at the end of that movie because they're doing so many things that just like really understands not what Godzilla, the original movie is about, but what Godzilla as a Toho era series is about. When they build a Mecha Godzilla powered by the three skulls and DNA and like memories of 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 King Ghidorah that has to power the whole thing, and then the second they turn it on, King Ghidorah's brain or mind just takes over Mecha Godzilla. It's like fundamentally, Adam Wingard understands the Showa and Heisa uh, era of Godzilla movies. Yeah. Well, I, okay. So, like, just as we transition from Godzilla twenty fourteen to you know the more fun Godzilla vs Kong. Um, because I think Godzilla 2014 is going to have to be our anchor for everything, right? Um, it's that the the genre in 2014, like the genre had this sort of spectacle genre had shifted, like it was more impact focused because like we're in a smartphone era. Like, got like Godzilla 2014 feels like it's indebted to Cloverfield. It feels like it's a movie about us having smartphones and uh, us having when when something bad happens, like you can go on Twitter and. To the great discontent of your soul, you can probably find 50 videos of someone who took a cell phone video of, like, a shooting, a natural disaster, um, an assassination, a bridge collapse, whatever horrifying fucking thing. Like, you can probably find at least one person (laughs) shooting it well or not 
um, shooting the disaster. And Godzilla 2014 really seems to get that, like that sort of intimacy of, of directness um, in the way that Cloverfield got it. And we're no longer viewing our news like from helicopter distance as news stations sort of like try and analyze the situation. Like we're hearing news sometimes directly from the people that are participants in it, like um, people that are right there, like in, in the flesh. And we can't view things from the sort of impartial third person spectacle anymore. What Godzilla versus Kong is doing is it's like it's actually taking us into um what spectacle filmmaking used to be it's just a very good version of that right it's colorful and it's bright and it's 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 springy and like you can't get too attached to like how they got from a to b to c to, to e right like <laughs> the characters just sort of wander into yeah, they, a highly secure plant and then they get on a monorail that takes them to hong kong like <laughs> yeah i mean the ceo's like hey i read your book on the hollow earth here's an anti-gravity spaceship i built to go in and they're like i got it let's release kong and he'll take us there because he wants yeah. to i mean it's it's great but again it 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 understands and i do think king of the monsters understands it too it understands godzilla movies as a as a lowercase like series like we can do whatever yeah yeah like um uh, I, and i appreciate that especially as like I think once you start writing a Godzilla versus Kong movie and you even like you start doing like even Wikipedia dives on it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, well, this the original movie was like essentially just like hucksters huckstering <laughs> each other until someone got to make. The what movie. is? Yeah, it is <laughs> funny how I mean, how much legendary wanted to make this movie is insane. Like, so Godzilla 2014 legendary had a whole distribution deal or whatever with Universal. Right. And they, that was who did Godzilla 2014. And that's where all of their movies were going through. And they had the opportunity to make Kong Skull Island. And remember, it's Legendary who owned the rights to make American Godzilla movies. So they destroyed their entire distribution deal with Universal to be the studio that was going to produce the Kong movie just so that they could eventually make a Godzilla versus Kong. And they're like, well, we should do one more before they announced King of the Monsters and Godzilla versus Kong at the same time that could set it up. They weren't like, let's do, you know, they which which is fine. Like, you don't need too much setup. This isn't like we need to have individual movies of all the like we don't need a Rodan movie before we get to King of the Monsters or whatever. But yeah, I mean, Legendary wanted a new Godzilla versus Kong so goddamn bad that they like destroyed their entire distribution deal that they had had from the inception so they could make kong skull island so they could make um eventually godzilla versus yeah yeah and like the amount of ambition towards that point i think was wise because what they allowed that what allowed them to do was um king of the monsters is full of fan service there's actually there's one of so the much. dumbest thing the dumbest thing in the movie is that the they use the oxygen oxygen destroyer and it does essentially nothing it doesn't even kill one of oh, them. Oh, no. Well, it kills Godzilla it, if they didn't restart his heart with an... It, I actually it, think it's kind of funny it that kill, it kills... It kills Godzilla in big... Well, yeah. Fucking, big fucking air quotes. I like, mean, they do have to restart more, his heart with a busyness nuclear weapon. To the third act. I do think it's funny <laughs> that they use it and Ghidorah immediately flies out and they're like, fuck, did we just kill Godzilla instead? I, I like that part. 
I real I really don't like that like bringing back the oxygen destroyer just to have it be like this ineffectual thing that it doesn't even kill like a Rodan or a Mothra or you know well, like Mothra's it doesn't even not kill there. like a B- it's, it's not it doesn't even powerful. kill like a B team. My point is it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like I don't I don't care where they are like position wise. I mean it doesn't even kill like a B team or a D team, right? Like Do you see all those fish? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming you can't fish off of that that particular it coast of Mexico fish and anymore until they restart his heart with a nuclear uh Listen, if it, if it brings Destroya and, you know, Godzilla there, versus There's King definitely Kong some nods to Destroya. And that his, yeah. then his heart goes nuclear and he's going to explode. Uh, yeah, that is that is, uh, that is, that is uh, a, a, a pretty rad thing, though. That is the movie's completely transitioning away from nuclear is bad as messaging. Because in the original movie, that was like a very scary, bad thing to happen. Godzilla becoming a nuclear reactor. I mean, Boston's already but it, fucked. <laughs> Even before it, this movie. In King of the Monsters, it's just a power up. Yeah. Like it's all it's all just like nuclear power is just like a power up, and then like he turns bright red, and, and that's like yeah, that's like anime. Yeah. That's like anime. Uh, uh you know, uh, uh, imagery for this guy is about to fuck you up. Whereas in Destroya, like one of the things I love about the movie is he's terrifying. Oh yeah. I think that man in that suit's gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> well, they chop him up into little bits at one point. That was yeah. all real. They're like, you're still going to be operating this suit from three different locations. <laughs> Get the axe. <laughs> it, actors used to be committed. Yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis played um, the role of Destroy. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> but yeah, to transition more towards, you know, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. So I can, especially so we can, I can be more positive. Um, um, cause I, I did really like, uh, Godzilla versus. Yeah. Kong. Really quickly. Yeah. The plot is that, so Kong from Skull Island, they've, they've actually built, this is actually what they, they do set this up in, uh, King of the Monsters, but they've built these holographic giant domes that basically encase the monsters. So the monsters don't know necessarily that they're not in their habitat anymore, but they have all these monitoring stations and they've found like 18 over the globe in King of the Monsters. They know King Kong has one. King Kong is also an alpha along with Godzilla and so the idea being like, hey, keeping him in this dome actually make sure, and they set this up a little at the end of King of the Monsters, make sure that Godzilla doesn't emerge and immediately try to fight him because that's what will, uh, that's what will happen. And um, but then uh, they there's a Alexander Skarsgård wrote this book about uh, the Hollow Earth, and there's an evil CEO, an Elon Musk type, who's like, hey, you're right go check it out. I built you this graph because they want to harvest this energy that Godzilla has been putting out. That's like eight times more complex and more powerful than nuclear energy. And they think it's all birthed from the hollow earth. So Alexander Skarsgård goes, don't know how to get there, but Kong knows because we're pretty sure that's where these, all these people come from. And he's been kind of sad and talking about home a lot. So we're going to go with him. And we find out that Rebecca Hall and her adopted daughter um, has been her adopted daughter has been sign, signing with Kong as they've like watched him in this research site. Uh, they take him to on boat, and he's pretty amenable to that. And but Godzilla, like they were worried, immediately tracks him down and does this kind of awesome. I love the the I love all the fights in this movie, but they have this like basically underwater fight where King Kong is at a disadvantage because unlike uh, Godzilla, he cannot breathe underwater. And uh, this is where he has this John McClane jump from an exploding aircraft carrier. Uh, but eventually they like psych out Godzilla and he goes away and they do find the portal and they jump in. And yeah, it's a fucking kick ass hollow earth with like the sky that's earth and the ground that's also earth. And there's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it rules. There's weirdo monsters here. 
They fight a few, and Godzilla finds his home, where his family used to live. He's the only one left, and he's very sad about that. But he also finds his family axe, which was built by the tail of, um, or one of the spines of a, of a Godzilla they killed, because these are essentially warring species, and these two are the last of their kind. Uh, Godzilla has also been attacking this, like the, that, the CEO cybernetics division, and we find out it's because he's building a Mecha Godzilla powered by the brain of Ghidorah. So Godzilla is attacking because he's sensing the um, the, the alpha brain being activated of the of Ghidorah. So there's a lot of news stories about like Godzilla not so much a savior now because he's attacking, and like Peter said, there's podcasters. Or like we, they're they're the only murders in the building of only Godzillas in the city, um, and investigating why Godzilla is truly attacking. But yeah, eventually, God's you know King Kong emerges from the Hollow Earth with his family axe, which levels the playing field a little bit. But he still kind of gets his ass beat by Godzilla, uh, quite quite heavily. But then Godzilla gets his ass kicked by Mecha Godzilla. Rebecca Hall's adopted daughter's like, hey, Godzilla's not your enemy. This, this Mechagodzilla is. And then they team up and beat the shit out of Mechagodzilla. They kind of say goodbye. Uh, Godzilla goes, or King Kong, Godzilla goes back in the sea. King Kong lives in the hollow earth while, yeah, uh, the 70s song, uh, The Air That I Breathe, plays. <laughs> Very triumphant ending as he beats his chest. Really, yeah, the only he, King he, Kong he, ending, for the most part, that doesn't end in some sort of tragedy. <laughs> And it's kind of cool they spend an entire movie figuring out a way to make a, a win for Godzilla and for Kong, yeah. right? Because the Satisfying. idea is that on Earth, on Earth, you need to have, uh, you know, an alpha, a king, or whatever, you know, the top of the food chain, the king of the monster, yeah. right? That was the idea from the last movie, that these titans... Yeah, that's the idea from to... that dis- dis- discredited research that has ruined yeah. men. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Alpha Wolf stuff is is uh, absolutely bullshit. Yeah, um, they, I mean the guy needed, who thought of, who thought of it uh, is the one who said, "Yeah, whoops, I got all that wrong." Yeah, because he was studying wolves in captivity, yeah, yeah. and and yeah, it's sort of like social Darwinism, where it has like the the sniff of of science, yeah. and then you actually uh, look at it and you're like, "Oh wait, this is just fascism." Oh, you you got didn't it. factor in uh, economics. <laughs> interesting. Hmm. Um. Interesting. Also, you your idea of uh, survival of the fittest uh, is uh, is is entirely based on strength as opposed to uh, adaptability. Oh, okay, your model is completely unscientific. Got yeah. it. Um, is in that that there's kind of a, 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 a I think like a very fun win win in that King Kong gets to be in the Hollow Earth. He gets to be king of the jungle, king of the king of the monsters. Um, and then in uh, on the surface, Godzilla cont- continues to rule, and they kind of have. I think they have, like, I don't think it's a great setup for a sequel for them fighting, but it's a great setup for a sequel where, like, more monsters... Yeah, what's in that Hollow Earth? ...can happen. Like, they've... We barely got to see much on the Hollow Earth except for some, you know, weird-looking monsters that are all kind of, like, mini kaiju, right? Like, they're... I mean, they're big compared to us, but they're not, like, you know, they can't... They're scrubs. You need, like, seven of them to try and even inconvenience King Kong. Um, So. Yeah. Uh... And, and and I think that that's like I think it's very charming to have um, it's very charming to have um, the the movie just admit that we don't want to see these two kill each other 
Yeah. In a way that doesn't feel like it's just setting up sequels or being too protective of IP. It's like, no, like we've been following King Kong this whole movie. Like King Kong, I think, deserves to walk off into the sunset. As well, opposed to some movies where it's like, it's like, oh, well, we, you know, we were setting up for the sequel. So we kept this character alive. A hundred percent. Like King Kong is very much the protagonist of this movie. But the last two Godzilla movies have been to set up Godzilla as the Godzilla as the protector and the protagonist. So like they do a heel change or a heel turn almost immediately in this movie with Godzilla attacking what just seems like the city. Uh, and then you f- you realize there's something nefarious going on that like evil capitalists are doing, which is all good. But we don't spend much time with Godzilla in this movie, right? He is a hulking figure who emerges to to attack either you know other alphas or the remnants of other alphas and so yeah it it wouldn't have been satisfying if godzilla won but it also wouldn't be satisfying for the other two movies if king kong just won right like (laughs) like oh okay yeah i mean he was he's just doing his godzilla thing i guess he's a shithead now we don't root for him anymore so like this movie does do a perfect job of kind of merging those two in a way that like you said it's very satisfying and it's a tough balance to do without like you know there was there was a lot of memes when this movie came out about like you know godzilla and king kong um realizing that their mom's name was the same or whatever but you know because because yeah like they that was they they didn't pull it off in batman versus superman it was stupid and idiotic that they were fighting and then became friends but this one like they do pull it off really well and i think that's that's something uh that even as i was watching i'm like how are they gonna what's the ending here because as we talked about famously the Showa era one always ended with basically King Kong winning. Because uh, at that point, Godzilla was just pure villain. But even then, there was that rumor by those uh, uh, Crestwood, Crestwood books that in like they still couldn't choose a victor. So they had an American cut where King Kong won and a Japanese cut where Godzilla won. So I do think splitting that difference is uh, they, they do it. They handle it with a plum here. Yeah, I think I think they do they do a great job. Um, so like it's not really worth getting into the specific no, plot details. And, absolutely not. And you know, Godzilla vs Kong. Let's talk about rad shit that happens. Talk about rad the axe. Uh, the, I mean, oh, the whole axe battle fucking rules. I think the axe thing is a really cool way to recognize the. I think King Kong's about a little, it a little bit. Godzilla <laughs> or King Kong's already literally. Yeah, King Kong is a little yeah. underpowered because he. Uh, is a mammal yeah. theoretically he doesn't um, have laser breath is he's not effectively immortal the way godzilla True. was yeah. um where godzilla just lived under the sea eating fish and whatever until he we pissed him off enough that he had to come to the surface he thankfully uh, in this one they don't give him weird electricity powers to try to even the score oh good a thunderstorm even coming. yeah i guess king Ghidorah gets powered up by electricity well he just controls like, that makes sense yeah, he he no he uh he juices up. He like bites a bites a pepper. Oh yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, but he can also kind of control he, it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it feels like he's like, oh, I need extra juice because Godzilla is yeah. extra juice. And King Kong, uh, the extra juice. Yeah, it's like Barry Bonds versus Roger Clemens. Like they're both juiced. Yeah, <laughs> they juice yeah. them, baby. But what's funny? Both of them are kings, and it's the first time I watched any of these movies, and I've been like, oh, I know why you're a king now. 
Because in King Ghidorah, it's it's supposed to be about he's trying to take the top of the yeah. throne. He's trying to become king of the monsters. And I was like, ah, that's your royalty. Yeah. I mean, I understood you were like gold plated or whatever, yeah. but like, and that's I why he's king. He was the king of what? King of the monsters because Godzilla sees it as a job. He doesn't see it as a part yeah. of his identity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's not King yeah. Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah, Godzilla is a uh, quiet quitting. Yeah. Um, compared he's to a King he's a Generation Z yeah. Godzilla. <laughs> um i think king kong actually has some some uh some sort of like clock all, in clock out energy all I can really respect. yeah i love yeah. it he's um, calling like if, but, if he's albert brooks and fucking uh lost in america he's calling his car dealer during the day <laughs> while he's supposed to be working yeah and the the in, in uh but king kong the idea that he actually was this like you know his his race was like sort of the king of the jungle in this other this other time this other land that that idea that in the hollow earth like he he does have a rightful place to rule he does have a throne just like godzilla has his throne on in his like relier castle um really the hat it's the hatfield of the big... mccoys of of the kaijus i think <laughs> long family history of fighting everyone's dead are they going to continue their family's generational bloodshed i think a lot to say about uh, historical violence among royalty yeah absolutely i mean and, and the idea is that um you know can you change can a man change <laughs> yeah. can a godzilla I think that's what, yeah that's what these movies are about can you can you uh to remove yourself from generational violence and i don't know not assassinate uh archduke franz ferdinand i don't know I, I may have lost the metaphor somewhere in there peter but i think you get it i think smart people get it yeah yeah i mean i get it i'm not smart so hopefully you get it um so oh, i get it um <laughs> i'm just saying um uh, but uh the the uh in uh giving him this big axe does sort of even the odds a little bit and i do love the idea that like they're powered all by this this like this like monster energy yeah. this like vril un- this this it is essentially vril from the like yeah, from the, the center myths of the about, earth. Uh, yeah yeah like this this uh, hyperborean form of energy that like under underpins all of our like spiritual destinies yeah. and like this idea that like godzilla's nuclear breath it, it's, it's not, not just, really nuclear it's breath really about, it's, yeah it's just powered yeah, breath. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's it's, it's good. It's, it's all good. It, yeah, these movies are good. Um, which I think like is something that I uh, you know to kind of get to wrap up. We, we've talked enough. I think it's time to start wrapping up. I think that and Kong Sky Island, which we didn't talk about, is also very good. And I just recently rewatched that and liked it even more than when I originally saw it. Which at the time, kind of like I was very aware that they were like doing this to eventually get do a Godzilla versus Kong. Cause they, they, they said that very publicly. It was a little bit like new line cinema when they got the rights to, um, to Jason saying like, we're going to do this at some point. Um, and I think I, as a result, I was like less aware of the movie around me. Cause I felt like a, a piece of the puzzle to get to something bigger. And then when I went back to it recently, and watched it with my kids I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Like, it's very funny. John C. Riley is great in it. Like, it has a lot of great monster design. It has a good, you know, some amazing shots. Like, this feels this feels really good. And I, I think, at the very least, even though I know King of the Monsters has somewhat of a mixed reputation, including among the hosts of this podcast, I think that it's incredibly impressive that, like, 
this has been as successful as it is, which I which I would lean towards calling it very successful. Like it doesn't quite have the same charms of Showa or or the the fun interconnectivity and and batshit insanity of scale and plots um, of the Heisei series. Uh, and I think like the emotional throughput of that with the way it ends with Destroya. But I think the fact that a, a Godzilla remake was successful was something that we were all a little bit skeptical of of 2014, if that, that could be pulled off, especially with the 1998 version. But the fact that the series as a whole has delivered relatively consistently is um, is fantastic. And I mean, I, again, as someone who started this this whole double month that we're doing, talking about how fucking like, much I love Godzilla, the fact that there's been movies of this like caliber and scale... And with this much fucking money thrown at them, and and that they've generally delivered on everything I would want out of these is fantastic. I, I love, I love. It. Yeah, I, I I'm pretty into them. I was pretty apprehensive to the idea of a um, CGI Godzilla, not because I didn't think the technology can handle it, but um, the idea is is that like generally speaking, the sense of scale uh, has been done poorly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, while I like Gareth Edwards two at least two of his movies, um, he, he's no Guillermo del Toro. Um, I didn't think, I didn't think he had the, the chops to pull that off. Um, and, uh, I was wrong. Um, I'm actually really into these movies, particularly because they're doing things that the other movies couldn't do with the technology, right? We've talked about the halo jump sequence. We've talked about... Um, like just Ghidorah slamming into like the, all those, like Rodan too. They were always like Mothra, uh, all those flying creatures got even shorter shrift because like, you don't, you don't put the guy in the suit, you put it on wires and you swing it into a guy with it. Yeah. Like the, the, there's a shot of, um, I think it's the male Muto. Uh, he gets, he's flying at the, at, um, at Godzilla, Godzilla grabs him in the air and then swings him into a skyscraper, and the whole skyscraper just kind of like crumbles. Yeah. Like it's something you could really do with the wire work before, because you wanted to keep the actors alive theoretically. <laughs> yeah. um, you didn't throw them into a big glass yeah, wall. Even, generally speaking, before. even in the sixties, they were they were big on not killing the person who was in the suits in Godzilla. They got yeah, close a couple compo- times, but that was more for over. Yeah. Here. Yeah, I mean, in Destroya, they almost <laughs> Destroya, they almost they almost killed the the, the actual Godzilla, um, which is uh, ironic. Um, but yeah, like uh, or like stuff like the nuclear breath breathing down the throat attack that Godzilla has, like sort of a finishing move. Like you couldn't have done anything like that with the old suits. Maybe if you were really committed to destroying them between movies, you could have taken the actor out of the suit and, like, kind of stood him up on wires and then had, like, some sort of flame. But, like, that's a lot of energy to put anywhere near any human being. Like, you couldn't you couldn't have done anything, I think, with on the same scale um, that they do with when Godzilla is actually grabbing one of the, the Mutos, holding its jaw open... And then breathing down until, like, its body disintegrates. Like, that's the sort of stuff you couldn't do before the CGI era. And, like, that... It's it's new elaborations on a formula, right? It's really fucking rad. There's even a big... King of the Monsters has a big fucking um, weird, like, fake out. Because Ghidorah... Um, Ghidorah's heads re- rejuvenate. Yeah. Um, you have to completely destroy it. Yeah, because a lot of times they get their heads ripped off and then that's it. They just go through the rest of the movie with two heads. And the fact that, like, it, um, 
Yeah, it's um, it just grows back. They're like. And Godzilla had to, there's a fake out shot where you think Ghidorah is coming back, but Godzilla actually has one of its heads in his mouth and he's nuclear breathing it directly like he's smoking him like a big fat cigar. Um, Admittedly, when I saw that shot, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And then I was like, okay, okay, okay. This is, this is pretty, this is pretty rad, actually. Um, So like, these movies have, these movies have like, an approach and a perspective that I think you you know mo- largely we couldn't have gotten out of the previous movies. Yeah. It's just that Godzilla 2014 feels most um, like it most uh, um, blows me away with uh, the new techniques, the new perspectives, the the new sense of uh, style that I don't think the series has had. Whereas the other two seem to be trying to use the new technology to replicate um, a modern spectacle filmmaking and, or something from the Showa era or something halfway between. It feels like Godzilla 2014 is generally offering something new. Oh, I agree. I mean, 2014 is is the one that, uh, again, the scale is just incredibly impressive. Every shot fills me with, like, um, which, you know, is part of why cutting away works. Like, you linger on, like, I love the, the thrill of Ghidorah and Godzilla slamming into each other. But the sense of on scale goes away. Like you're, you're just impressed by like how cool all this shit looks. And and you know Godzilla 2014 is definitely doing some, something different. I think I, I think 2014 is the most overall impressive of those. Um, but like you said, I think probably the one that if like I had to revisit five times, it would probably be Godzilla versus Kong because I think that's the most overall fun from from beginning to end also worth noting all of these movies are like around two hours or under which holy shit peter when are these movies nowadays with this much money ever not like two and a half hours it rules that like godzilla versus kong is the shortest of the four at like an hour 50 minutes like it's perfect yeah yeah i mean you could have added one or two more fights to Godzilla 2014 to speed it up or more fights to King of the Monsters, probably more importantly to, spe- to, to speed up a little bit. But like, yeah, I think it's two hours yeah, well yeah, spent, yeah. right? Like, yeah. So, Peter, we got one more left and then we're done. Um, I don't think sad. we're going to go back and do a Son of Godzilla episode. I think we I think we've covered everything for now. We're talking about Godzilla wise. We got a big one, at least for now. Who knows what will come out at some point in the future? When we have Robot Baby. Probably one of the best. I mean, definitely in my top five. Uh, And that is 2016's only live-action incarnation from the Reiwa era. uh, Directed by Anno from Neon Neon... Is it that late that my brain is breaking? Neon Genesis Evangelion fan? I'm like, what order are these words again? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that is Shin Godzilla, which was Toho making a Godzilla in 2016. Not like Godzilla 2000, which was to try to distance itself from uh, from the American 1998 remake, but just because, hey, uh, Godzilla 2014, we liked it, we had approval, we can make one that exists side-by-side side with that without feeling threatened. And they made a fucking great one that I can't wait to talk about next week, Peter. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I'm glad we get to go out on a, on a win. And yeah, we just, like you talked about at the beginning, we just kind of kept gobbling up episodes because, like, I kept wanting, to, I kept wanting to go for extra credit. Well, yeah, and I, I be like, well, we got to check out. I that. had like, like uh, well, hey, here. if you're up for it, like, I wouldn't mind doing this, but you actually, I will say, I was doing that throughout the whole thing. You were the one that's like, well, we can try to do Kong. 
like we're doing all the first two. Let's let's try to do Kong. So I'm glad you pushed for it because I a I loved rewatching it. And B uh, I'm glad we get to do all three of them. They're they're great. And Kong definitely ends ends the MonsterVerse for now on a very high note. So yeah, with that we'll be back next week for one more trip to Toho Studio. And until then, I'll see you at the Hollow Earth Convention. You don't actually. I don't think they have them, but we should make them. We get a lot of money on those flatters. Hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>